Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. to Bard's Logic, Political Talk, part of the growing conservative conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. Tonight we have our guest, Paul Soltis, who is a teacher and a research writer. He found the Muslim Brotherhood at Nazareth College at Rochester, uh, New York, two years ago. And when he would try to get some answered, he was blacklisted on an alumni site. Uh, this set fire, causing Paul to immerse himself in research, learning more, and was the inspiration for Paul's first book, Stealth Jihad, Phase 2, Infiltrate American Colleges. Since publishing his first book, Paul continues to do speaking engagements, including radio shows. 
Paul sees himself as an awakened American who has only just recognized that we in America and Canada have had a war declared on us. His mission is to wake the American people and its government to the war being waged against us. He says, if I must do this one person at a time, I will continue until the right person who is able to act with authority sets the pace. Until the day I will share the truth of civilization, jihad, wherever and wherever it's proof until that day. And so uh, we'll be speaking with him shortly uh, tonight. And we also uh, see him on. So let me go ahead and open up his mic. Thank you very much, Paul, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Nice to be here. Great. Thank you for coming to the show. And then what is the other book uh, that you recently uh, wrote? Was there a second one? The Civilization Jihad and the Myth of Moderate Islam is the second one. The first one is called uh, Stealth Jihad Phase 2, Infiltrate American Colleges. Um, That came about because my first book was all about how they're into the colleges and how they're actually controlling uh, the the curriculum. Anything that has to do with Islam is is being taught erroneously. Um, I have an example of my old college, uh, that I went to, Madras College, is now promoting a, a professor named Dr. Muhammad Shafiq who tells people that Islam means peace. Yet he openly also tells people when I when I make him admit he did this, um, that he also says Islam in Arabic means submission. So he he's trying to have it both ways. And the college will not mm-hmm. take an action against him. And this is what concerns me, you know we have people out there openly lying to our to your kids, to the kids of the college, and telling them telling them these awful truths, I mean awful lies, I mean, and um no one is doing anything of it with any authority. And this is my, my biggest issue. The college knows he's lying and yet says nothing wrong. And yet he's allowed to continue in his position. If you were if you were a a professor, and you got caught lying or cheating in any other department, you would be removed. But because he represents Islam, he is not. So why do you think that's the case? So why do you think that is the case, so you can get away with that? Uh, they get a free pass because because they are Muslim, and that is the only reason. There is no excuse for that. Okay. And I, I wish I had another answer for that. It's a free pass just because they're Muslim. And, and they think, well, they should be allowed to lie? I don't know. I, I don't get why anyone is allowed to lie to students about about things that we can verify. I mean, things to say Islam means peace is, is denying the very etymology of the word um, in, in Arabic. So we have we have to look at whether it's our truth, if the truth is not being told to students, that's what it comes down to. How can this man be allowed to continue in his position? And this happens all over the United States. You go up to any Muslim cleric and ask them yourself, and should you bring a camera? And I would say, send that video to me. Send it to um, send it to anybody who you know will, will publicize it. It's an easy thing to do. Get a Muslim cleric, ask him what ask him what Islam means. They'll probably say peace, and then say to them. Well, what does it mean in Arabic? And they will tell you it means submission. 
that's that's the standard way. I thought Shalom meant peace. Go ahead. (laughs) Sorry, what? I I thought Shalom meant peace or something like that. Yeah. Well, shalom is shalom is Hebrew, yes, and that's that's the other fun thing is is uh, this particular professor has also said it means shalom, <laughs> and, and I I took twelve undergraduate credits in Hebrew and five graduate credits in Hebrew. He can't lie to me like that. <laughs> I'm not taking wow. that one, and I and I actually wrote to the college. Look, you know, I'm not I'm not the average person who is making complaints. I'm the one with extensive knowledge in in Hebrew. My professor was actually one of the professors who on uh, who worked on Q, and he was an out, he's an outstanding Hebrew scholar. That's Dr. Paul Livermore. Um, so I mean, I learned under him when I was doing my undergrad work, but that was ages ago. My, my issue today is is something much more simpler. I mean, why is a professor allowed to lie and then allowed to keep his job? I mean, if you're lying about what you're teaching, that's the issue. If you're lying about something else that has nothing to do with your, what you're teaching, we have another issue. That's, that's another matter altogether. But when you're lying about what you the very premise of what you're supposed to be teaching, how can anyone trust you to tell the truth while you're teaching? And that's a simple, simple question. Yeah, and I definitely have uh, you know questions that I definitely want to ask you tonight. We've got plenty of time. Uh, I believe you said you could give us at least a couple hours on the show, but I do like to bring in a couple of our panelists uh, first, because uh, I know one in particular who I'd like to get on, because uh, unfortunately he's not going to be able to spend uh, a lot of time with us, because he's definitely working on a lot of things activism-wise behind the scene, and that is our good friend Dan. So let's go ahead and bring Dan, and thank you very much, Dan, for coming to the show. How are you? Oh. Pretty good. Uh, as always, tired. It seems like uh, every time I get a second wind and uh, get a little more efficient, more gets dumped on my plate. I'm sure a lot of people out there know the feeling. I'm sure our guest knows the feeling. I mean, you were you were a professor. This is a, a peaceful profession. This is a nice way to live, you, to, to teach young people extensive knowledge and, and uh and yet, suddenly, you're thrust into controversy, uh, blackballed, uh, you know, loss of, of respect among your, your peers only for telling the truth. Um, write a book, and, and you're in the middle of a firestorm. I'm not a, I'm not a professor. I'm a special ed teacher, actually. I went to Nazareth yeah. as a student. So okay. of all, of, all of what I'm saying, I, the, the disrespect that I got from the college um, – Yes, it did get back to me in other ways, um, and for telling the truth. And I have tons of people who did write back to me trying to figure out why I got in trouble for telling the truth. I had more well, people you know asking that question. The uh, titles don't seem to matter that much these days. Uh, I've I've had dealings recently uh, with uh, lawyers and veterinarians and doctors and uh, politicians, uh, people in law enforcement and higher ranks, and and I'm not going to mention any of them by name at this point. They know it. If they're listening, I'll make sure they know it off air. Uh, I'm not very respectful of title anymore. It means very little. What matters to me is what a person does, and what you're doing is you're sharing the truth based on actual honest research. And and I would venture to say, having read a lot about you, 
that if you came across a piece of information that didn't fit, you wouldn't just ignore it. You'd have to admit that it was true and try and some, find some way of explaining why it was able to fit into your worldview or change your worldview. That's what, what, what an honest person does. Yeah, and that's the truth. I mean, I've had things where kids have come to me and with questions when I was a kid, and I changed a lot of what I believed because I'd find out what they were asking me to double-check on that I was wrong. Because the, the issue becomes one one of the objectivity, um, or the concept of objectivity, lose uh, lose any balance. It, it's when you, um, if you're if you're not objective enough to see if you are on have some bias, then you're in trouble. You have to be able to look at both sides of the coin. And sometimes we all have biases. Yeah, we all but, do. But when I mean, when your bias doesn't allow you to see both sides, then you're in trouble. I, I don't I think mean, that's quite the case. Um, I don't think that most people are so biased that they can't see it. I think that, and this isn't necessarily in colleges and universities and in the professions, folks. This is, uh, you know, down in the working trades and and every other walk of life. Uh, there, are, it's very hard when you've accepted something as true whether it's something that was passed on to you from your folks or you got from your, your peers, your friends, your, the people you hang out with, or, or just something that you glommed onto and you thought, wow, that's, that's got an element of truth in it. When you find out that maybe it isn't quite as true, it's, it's hard to admit it to yourself. It's easier to ignore it. And there's a difference between ignorance that's honest. I, I'm an ignorant man. People say, oh, Dan, you know a lot of stuff. Yeah, I know a lot of facts. I figured out some things, but... Compared to what there is to know, I'm ignorant as hell. Um, And that attitude is honest. For me to say, uh, I won't look at something, I refuse to look at something because it disturbs my sense of what I already know, um, no, that's not not the way it is. And by the way, folks, our guest earlier said that uh, in response to Robert's question that they were able to lie because they were Muslim. And I want to add to that. I'm not challenging that as a fact, but let's add another fact that in the colleges and universities, in the bastions and citadels of academia, um, you're permitted to lie. You're given a pass if you're talking about communism or Marxism and how you know you, they they fail. They've always failed, but you're not allowed to say that. You've got to say that you know it's glorious. All we've got to do is get a little more power and a little more control, and everything will finally work out. We we'll get it right this time. You're also allowed to lie. Um, well, about climate change, you can ignore facts. Facts don't matter. And in the schools that deal with teaching teachers, you're allowed to lie about Common Core. You're allowed to lie about how basic math works in a child's brain. You know, my my, uh, my mom was a teacher, and she taught me the old-fashioned way, uh, how to read, how to do mathematics, etc. I can do them. And it's really simple procedures. It's stuff that anybody, even if you're not really, really, you know, academically minded, if you're not super talented in that area, if you work at it, you can learn all this stuff. But this common core is just BS. So it, it isn't just... The Muslims, and you ask, have to ask yourself. All right, let's let's postulate a theorem. Let's get all fancy. 
Uh, what does no, that's, teaching? That's geometry. Stay away. Stay oh, away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say let's just uh, take a hypothesis. We're going to say what might be similar in the reason why they're going to allow Muslims, communists, Marxists, climate change advocates, Common Core advocates. Why are they letting them lie to our kids in colleges? And what is it all those things have in common? What they all have in common is totalitarian viewpoint. They all have a common that total power of the state over every individual, that submission of every individual for the greater good, whatever that is, um, under certain experts, whether they're uh, appointed or, uh, you know, religiously or appointed uh, uh, politically or whatever, these, these experts, they know better. They've never actually done anything good in their own lives or anybody else's, but they know better. And uh, thus we end up with situations where a theocracy like Iran is really not all that different from an atheist country like North Korea. If you happen to be one of the people that lives there, you don't speak out against the leadership. You don't speak out against the ideology. You don't speak out, period. In fact, you don't lift your head and look straight at them, because if you do, you're showing defiance, and you will be stepped down, squashed down. And these people are cruel. What they've done to our guest uh, in, in treating him poorly, this is a taste. You, you see this every day, folks. You look on any of the social media. Forget the mainstream media. You're not going to get anything there. Um, and a lot of really, really good websites out there that are, have been coming up over the last few years where you can get honest vettable news, stuff that you can check yourself and see that it's true, where they're really careful to tell you measured truth and let you draw your own conclusions. And if they draw a conclusion, they back it up with facts. Okay? Um, you see lots of examples of individuals stepping out of line and getting squashed, or at least they're trying to squash us. Um, any, anyone who tries to do that, and I don't care what side they're on, we have a few on the Patriot Liberty side who fall into that mindset where all of a sudden they're going to um, be the expert, they're going to be in charge, and anybody who steps out of line, you know what, uh, they don't last very long. Uh, we're not interested in that. Folks, we are not interested in that, and we're not interested in submission. Uh, the difference between Judeo-Christian ethics and Judeo-Christian ideals and uh, the Muslim ethic, and, and I've done extensive studies myself. I'm not going to call myself an expert, but having read all those books over and over and over again, um, yeah, there's, there's violence in both of them. And, yeah, the first part, the first book of the Koran says all kinds of nice stuff. The second part doesn't. Uh, and, and people like to equate things. And they like to, oh, well, it's just the same, and who am I to judge? Well, let's judge by the actions of each religion. Now, Christianity and Judaism, they've, they've undergone reformations and they've, they've become uh, much less strident about, you know, we don't stone people, we don't, uh, you know, um, do horrible things to them. We have a much more lenient and much more fair uh, criminal code now. Uh, this is not biblical times, I get that. But in Christianity, when you look at uh, Thomas Aquinas and you look at the people that, uh, who are apologists, you look at C.S. Lewis recently. This is almost our lifetimes. This is, for some of us, it is our lifetimes. Um, they held that questioning was important to religion and that God gave us free choice and that more 
to come to a belief, if you, if you in fact do, which maybe you won't, but it means more if you do that honestly with your eyes open based on and that's the whole that has led all these breakthroughs to happen in Judeo-Christian-led countries where in terms of science, engineering, math, in terms of literature, in terms of just about anything you excel and continue to the world. But in countries where uh, you're not supposed to question, where you're supposed to just accept blindly and keep your mouth shut and do what you're um, they pretty much produce next to nothing. What they do produce is derivative. And people will bring in China. Oh, look what China is with stolen technology. They're coming up with their own. And you can only question so far. Because if you question a little bit further, uh, oh boy, not a thing. And folks, you do not have to believe, uh, I'm telling you, you what, uh, Bob Jarrah is telling you. You don't have to believe what our guests are telling you. If if you want to know whether what we're saying hey, Dan, is true I don't know, or not. Dan, real, Dan, real quick. I don't know if if, if you're hearing it, uh, but we have where you, you're uh, you're breaking up here and there. It's kind of we're hearing you intermittently, so it's not it's not real bad. Oh, we can still understand and get your point what you're saying, but yeah, you're breaking up some. Well, it was like ninety degrees here today, so I got I'm off the. And it's dropped uh, below eighty. I got the fan on. Maybe that's it. No, I don't know. Just your yeah, you know, just voice like breaking out like you feel the not not so great uh, reception. <laughs> I computer program the Skype and the result. Thank you. Yeah, it's getting even worse. Um, Sorry. <laughs> well, all right. I'll, I'll go kick it back to you and see if I can deal with the technical stuff. Yeah, let's take anybody's word for it, and not even ours. Right. Go check it out yourself. You can easily, easily find out. Maybe it's just, maybe it's our NSA friend Bob uh, ahead, cutting you off there, uh, <laughs> cutting you off there. Something I don't know. Oh boy! Uh, but let's go ahead and you know, yeah, let's go ahead and bring it back to you, Paul. And then perhaps we could get a better connection with Dan. We've never haven't ex- experienced it before, but you know, maybe that's one of the reasons, as you said. Uh, Paul, why they're able to infiltrate because they've got more allies uh, than we thought. Maybe the NSA is one of them. <laughs> I, I would not surprise me. Go ahead, Paul. I would, hmm? That would not surprise me. I have had incidences when I was about to about to say something very, very important. All of a sudden, the phone goes off while I'm on the air <laughs> and stuff like that. But I I can't prove it, so I'm not going to, you know, it makes you wonder, that's all. With all the listening they're doing, you, you, you still you wonder now. <laughs> so how much really happens that way? Um, my concern, my biggest concern is is that most people don't know we've had a war declared against us. And that is something I think Americans need to know. It's it's not something I've made up. It's not something anybody shouldn't know. It's, it's that in 1991, the Muslim Brotherhood in North America declared a war on North America. Um, that is a very important thing that we need to know today. And we only know about this thanks to the, the brave action of one particular policeman in uh, the Maryland Transit Authority. All he did was he saw this woman uh, taking pictures of the support structure of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, and uh, she just happened to be in a 
niqab, the whole, she had the hijab on and uh, covered face and, and co- totally covered. And, of course, she can't drive, so she gets in and her husband's driving and policeman just does an average traffic stop. Pulls him over, finds the driver is Ismail Brace. Um, I believe he was one of the he was one of the leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood at that point, and they served a warrant on his house. They found a hidden basement dug underneath his basement with 93 bankers' boxes of documents of the Muslim Brotherhood. In this one document called the Explanatory Memorandum of the uh, Muslim Brotherhood of North America, there is one one small paragraph that defines what their goal is in the United States. I'm just going to read that real quick. Um, it's, it's titled, Understanding the Role of the Muslim Brotherhood in North America. Again, this is their words, not mine. The process of settlement is a civilization for jihadist process, with all the word means. The Quan, which is the Brotherhood, must understand that their work in America is a kind of grand jihad in eliminating and destroying the Western civilization from within and sabotaging its miserable house by their hands and the hands of the believers but it is eliminated and God's religions made victorious over all other religions. Without this level of understanding, we are not up to the challenge and have not prepared ourselves for jihad yet. It is a Muslim's destiny to perform jihad and work wherever he is and wherever he lands until the final hour comes. And there is no escape from that destiny except for those who choose to slack. But would the slackers and the mujahideen be equal? This is what they're doing here in America. And this is really, really... A big concern. Can can we protect ourselves when the government that recognize, that knows we have been threatened does not even recognize the existence of an enemy? I I believe the Muslim Brotherhood is taking a lesson from Sun Tzu, um, and he had said the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. They're not they're not picking up a weapon. They're simply picking up a tent, picking up uh, a court. <laughs> They're suing. That's their new thing. They like to sue. They keep us quiet so we don't tell the truth. And this is a big um, issue that's happening in America. Care functions on fear. Isn't a functions on the fear. It can, uh, you can be called an Islamophobe. And for some people, being called something like that, uh, it's dangerous. It can deny their ability to do their job. Um, and, but this is what's happening in America. They're they creating a fear that you, they can stop you from telling the truth. And uh, it'll be a long time before they get to do that with me. I'm just one of those people people already know. I can't. I have to tell the truth. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a crazy thing to to be in a place where you, you tell the truth and, and people just, <laughs> I mean, they run. We have a president of the United States who wants everybody to believe that the Muslim Brotherhood are are nonviolent. There's so much. Ri- so yeah, much. About to bring Obama up, guys. Yeah, I'm I'm bringing him up for a number of reasons. Once he um, he defends the Muslim Brotherhood left and right. Um, we saw him bring the Muslim Brotherhood to power. Mostly from the left, though, right? No, <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Well, <laughs> Yeah. I said mostly he's, from he's, the left, correct? <laughs> I couldn't help myself, guys. <laughs> yeah, this, this man has, has uplifted every... Uh, actually, the only places our government has gone to to battle since he's been in power 
as in places that have been openly attacking the Muslim Brotherhood. He almost had us in Egypt because they were disposing of the Muslim Brotherhood. He has us in hmm. Syria. Why? Because they were disposing of the yeah. Muslim Brotherhood. We he had us in a, he had us pull out of Iraq so he could use what was created in Syria. Uh, every place that we have gone as a gov- with our military since Obama has been in office has been in every single place that the Muslim Brotherhood has been under oppression to the point where they have either been executing Muslim Brotherhood members or imprisoning them. And that is the only reason we have been in those countries. Um, that the, He gives the claim that you know, we talked about uh, Gaddafi, let's talk about Libya. Gaddafi was imprisoning Muslim Brotherhood members. And he was he was actually working with the U.S. government to try and stop terrorism. He had pretty much re, re, he'd stopped all of his, his own actions that way and started to act more for his people rather than that was the thing that had happened. It was public knowledge. Yet our president decides to get in and cause problems because he wants them to stop attacking the Muslim Brotherhood. That was the whole reason. Uh, right now, um, the new thing, let's bring up ISIS while we're at it. Uh, ISIS, in truth, does not exist today. It is the Islamic State. Um, so I, I would rather call them the Islamic State and call them what they call themselves. Our president doesn't even use the term ISIS. He likes the term Islamic ISIL. ISIL. And the reason he does that is because ISIL is an anti-Semitic term in many ways. Levant refers to a pre-World War I existence of part of the Ottoman Empire. And this is a statement that Israel does not exist. And this is not something we should not be surprised coming from an anti-Semitic president. And this is what we have. And he's made several anti-Israel remarks, and I mean, they're public knowledge now, so it's no surprise. The other thing here is it's possible. I'm one of those who believe that our president was involved in the creation of ISIS. I've read probably about five different books from subject matter experts that the government has hired. And in all of them, they each make a statement saying the president did certain actions that allowed for ISIS to be created. And I'm amazed. Real quick, Paul, I'm going to interject with uh, just a, a quick comment. I'd like you to comment on it uh, as well. And at some point I'm going to have, uh, it may not be on this show, but it'll be on a subsequent show. So I've seen it like just before uh, the show began, so I didn't have a chance to uh, get an audio clip. Uh, but I may uh, find it again and just to have an archive of it. Uh, so when we're covering some of the uh, the candidates uh, running for the GOP primary, is uh, I read an article where it said uh, that Rand Paul was saying that uh, the Republicans uh, also played a part in uh, the creation of ISIS. So if you got any uh, information or any thoughts on that, uh, you know, bring that in. I thought that was interesting that he said that, and I'll get more of uh, a context on that. Uh, but, you know, let me hear his thoughts on that, and I just want to bring it in because you're mentioning uh, Obama, so I thought I'd bring in uh, the other party as well. Go ahead. I'm, I'm only – I'm mentioning the person who's in charge of the um, military, who is our current president. Um, 
in some ways, Rand Paul is correct. The, the issue is um, what is the the role of the Senate in reviewing the armed forces and the policies instated by the president. Um, did they did they have opportunity to take action to stop him? Yes. Did they ha- did they do so? The answer is no. We had a defunct uh, military, sorry, m- defunct Senate at the time where mo- when sen- the Senate, sorry, a defunct <laughs> Senate. It was run by the re- Democrats when the re- when ISIS was created, um, and then in the middle of ISIS being created. It was turned over and it became Republican. So that's that's what happens at that point. When it becomes Republican, yes, now they still could be taking action to stop some of the things that our president is doing that facilitates ISIS. Um, in fact, there are re- reports. Here's one I would, I'm going to read to you, um, and this is an interesting one. This just comes from the commander of the Iraqi Quds Force. General Qasem Soleimani, he said, Mr. Obama, how far is the Al-Assad Air Base from where your planes are stationed from Ramadi? How many kilometers is it? How can you possibly be under that pretext of protecting Iraq when you, um, you have installed forces in that country and formed a coalition, yet you have done nothing? He said, this can only mean that you are an accomplice in this plot. This can only mean that you lack any determination to confront that entity. Um, our president has done much to create ISIS. He has done very little to stop them. Um, we can go back to the, do you remember the Syrian fighters that McCain decided he would go pose with and we found out they were Al-Qaeda? <laughs> you know, it's up that, right? Yeah, so, you know, here's another stupid Republican who should never be called Republican. And um, he's he's out there posing with Al Qaeda, and he's saying we should we should fund these guys, we should help them. You know, let's see, what's this? Are we allowed to give funds to someone we have declared an enemy? Uh, we call that treason, don't we? So McCain was espousing treason, <laughs> and people stupidly listened to him. Um, and we had. Um, and we already knew this. I mean, this is the thing. The, the State Department knew it. The military knew it. And McCain was making a bigger bleep of himself by recommending we do this. Yet nobody stopped them. Um, and this is this is a big concern. So what did they do? They put camps in Jordan. They put camps in Turkey to train these fighters to how to act as a military unit. Oh, let's see. What happened to those fighters? Uh, they went into Iraq and... Uh, the the AQI leader, who had been imprisoned in Iraq, the Iraqi prison, was set free about the time that they pretty much finished their training. Uh, the AQI leader is Abu Bakr, and he becomes the head of ISIS, and then later becomes the caliph. Um, there are questions today as to whether he has been injured by a by a drone attack or a bombing. Um, no one has seen him as late that I have heard. Um, could the first caliph be done and over with? It is quite possible today. I don't haven't have not heard of anything of him. However, would that stop the Islamic State? And the answer is no. 
So if, if there is no talent, however, it may slow them. And, and here's a quote that uh, I found on uh, an article, and I will get the audio at some point. That's just enough. Not tonight. I'll have have it at some point. Says uh, this is from uh, from Paul Rand Paul. ISIS exists and grow stronger because of the hawks in our party who gave arms indiscriminately, and most these and most of these arms were snatched up by ISIS. And it also goes on says ISIS is all over Libya because these same hawks in my party loved Hillary Clinton's war in Libya. They just wanted more of it. Libya is a failed state and is a disaster. Again, and uh, there will be more of this, uh, of this article. Go ahead. This is McCain and McConnell. Um, the, the, those two idiots have have destroyed any representation of what is now is known as the word Republican. Um, they should not even have that word attached to their name. It should be re- it should be torn from them. Uh, they have no understanding of what it means to be a to be conservative. Well, what's, um, what's, what's speaking of that, Paul? Speaking of Mitch McConnell, is uh, I know when uh, they were running for Senate, the Senate primary, uh, we had Matt Bevan on, who was running against Mitch McConnell uh, for his seat in the primary. Now, of course, as we all know, uh, McConnell won that primary and then went on to uh, uh, get reelected. Uh, and speaking of Matt Bevan, he's now running uh, for governor in Kentucky, the same uh, state as Rand Paul, I figure. Uh, so we will be having him on next week, uh, folks. We'll be having Matt Bevan on and talk about his campaign and for governor and uh, the recent election and the events there. So we're looking forward to having that uh, next week. I uh, just thought I'd bring that up since we brought up McConnell uh, and talked a little bit about our our guest next week. Go ahead. Oh, I, I'm just I'm just Here's amazed on. when we we talk about what the what the what our Senate has done. We have to look primarily at who has the authority to take the action, and that is primarily the President of the United States, POTUS, uh, which the person who is called POTUS, um, which. This man is in charge of our military. He makes the decisions on where people go and what they do. Um, he decides who we're going to train. Yes, many of these actions have to be looked at by the Senate. That's why we have a armed. That's why we have we have certain committees, armed forces committees, and stuff like that in the in the Senate and in the in the House. There's problems when the review process, the con- which is has not been working effectively. For I don't know how many years now, there has been no. We have we have we are supposed to have balance of power in our government. It has not been working for, for I don't know how long now. It's just amazing to me that we are not putting the checks and balances in operation. We're just letting things happen. Um, and say we, I mean the Senate in the House are just letting things happen. They are not using the power of the purse to stop things. The House could do that. They have an opportunity to, to stop things, yet they are doing nothing. Um, the Senate has the ability to simply say no. Uh, they practiced this recently by telling Iran, look, he can make any agreement he wants to, about the president, but it doesn't mean anything unless the Senate agrees to it. Um, which the president did not inform Iran about, and was very upset that we dared to inf- that the Republicans dared to tell the Iranians that. Um, basically, mm-hmm. 
anything the president put on paper doesn't mean anything. We saw that come into power, uh, come into play in World War One when when Woodrow Wilson signed the uh, signed the treaty, Versailles Treaty, and and this had to do with the creation of the League of Nations. Our country, our Senate, wanted nothing to do with it. You know what? I think they're right. They were right then, and we should have been right. We should have listened to them in World War Two. Can you imagine how much would not have happened if we had left the United Nations out and we just left them away from us? I don't. I think it would have been a better world. I don't. I can't say for sure, but it just makes me think things would be better. They're, it's a pro-communist group, as far as I'm concerned. Um, there were a lot of what? things happening in this world. Yes. And at this point, I do want to uh, bring in uh, another one of our panelists, uh, and that is Kelly. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring uh, Kelly in. Uh, uh, thank you for coming to the show, Kelly. But first, before you make your comments, uh, let's go ahead and listen and hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at patriotjournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. Uh, definitely, uh, folks, uh, check out the Patriot Journalist Network at www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, and if anyone else out there is hearing uh, some audio difficulties, just uh, let me know. And also check out the Bards Logic Cloak Talk website at www.bardslogiccloaktalk.com. And Dan, I see you out there. We're going to try to bring you back in as well as Joe. If anyone out there in the audience would like to uh, speak with our guest tonight or on our topic, Give us a call at 347-945-7428. We'll get you on the show. Well, one thing that's different here than uh, many of your radio shows is that once you call in, uh, you're welcome to join our roundtable discussion, uh, both with our guests and afterwards, uh, as we bring uh, the topics around to you. So you are welcome, once you come to the show, uh, to stay for the remainder and, as I said, be part of our roundtable discussion. So definitely, if you want to be a part of that, give us a call at the 347-945-7428 and join us, be part of the discussion. Let's go ahead. Back to you, Kelly. Well, hey, uh, glad to join you guys tonight. Um, Hey, Paul, yeah, really good um, to hear from you. The story of, you know, you mentioned something about the Islams and the school is getting mean to you. you know, as far as calling for Christians, don't forget it, man. You want to talk about God and you're Christian, you're booted out. I was like, what? This is like a double double standard. I'm sure you've seen that as well. I guess that's a question. Yeah, I, I see it a lot. Um, as an educator, I am talked to about what I can and cannot do. If the kids want to create a Bible club, um, they have to run it. They're not allowed to have any a religious group. They're not allowed to have a staff member help or advise them. If the, if the group wanted to run a communist group or a democracy group, they, they could have a person advise them. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the truth there. Um, teachers are forbidden from, quote, praying with their students unless it is off, off grounds. 
and and it is not on school property. <laughs> um, and that's that's another sad, sorry truth. I mean, even if the kid requests it, you cannot do that. Um, you actually have to be off the school grounds, <laughs> and that's to save your own job. When, what did we do to our country that we have forbidden teachers from praying with students who request it? <laughs> that is a sad, sorry truth. Um, wow, that's and, a brilliant point. Um, I don't know teachers who who wouldn't do it. It's just that in order to keep our jobs, we often have to say, "I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to." And the kids will ask why. And well, I'm, my job does not allow me to do that. And, and this is a horrible, awful truth that we are in. Um, it's just just amazing when we find out what our the public education is, is up to. Um, then one of the things we are now required to teach, just to give in a clue as to what's not being taught as well today, uh, is about the Armenian Genocide. Uh, the Armenian Genocide took place in 1915. This is the 100th uh, um, remembrance of it. And I don't want to say anniversary because that is a horrible word to, to use with a concept of genocide. Um, these Armenian people were basically almost entirely wiped out through the actions of a fatwa, uh, known as the 1915 fatwa. And this, uh, this particular fatwa defined jihad in three different ways. Uh, the first level of jihad is known as heart jihad. And the heart jihad every, is a requirement upon every Muslim to feel the angst and the, the desire to, for the elimination of all other religions and for Islam to be made victorious. And then there is the word jihad. This is to be carried out in every country where Islam is not um, prevalent. So places like the United States, Canada, any country where Islam is not the uh, predominant religion, where jihad is supposed to be active. So you'll have people lying um, to lying to others about jihad, about what Islam really means, which is basically civilization jihad. Um, this is the word jihad. They're they're writing books, they're writing uh, tales, or anything they can to push uh, Islam. In my book, I talk about different things regarding this, uh, the concept of getting into government, and and where we have. Uh, we have Muslims in the Senate. We have Muslims in the House. We have uh, Muslims in the White House, uh, one serving as POTUS. We have them all over now in different branches of the government. Uh, we have a, I have determined about 15 to 16 and maybe more in working in the White House today. Um, there is a large number of Iranians also, which I'm going to be writing an article on in the near future. Um, these things are happening today. They are well, didn't, actual Wasn't there a, during the National Day of Prayer, oh, boo-boo, gosh darn it, I did it again, Obama um, had a whole <laughs> bunch of um, Muslims in the in the White House. I'm sure you've yeah. heard of that by now. He dissed every um, every Christian on Easter. He dissed, he, he dissed every Christian on National Prayer Day. How did he do that? He does not like the word Christian. He hates Christians. And that is evident whenever he mentions the word Christian. He has a distaste in his mouth, and you can see it looks like he's tasting bile. 
when he mentions the word Christian. He hates Christian. I don't have a question in my mind. Every time he talks about, if it's Eastern, he's got to say a word about Christianity. He wants to vilify them, uh, Christians, as, as, as if they are the greatest evil on the world. That is his belief structure because he is Muslim. Uh, and there is no question. Today, if, you had, if he had been asked by George Stephanopoulos if he, if he was Christian, he would have said no. Yeah. He's only he's only allowing that mirage of that he is not a Muslim for people to openly still support him. There are so many things he has done to state he is openly Muslim. There is no deniability today of that. There's no existence of it. Um, Cindy just posted uh, an article about why Boko Haram and ISIS target women. Well, Muhammad did that. So they're doing the same thing Muhammad did. Muhammad targeted women. He liked having sex slaves. He liked having extra wives. Um, one of his, we look at those things. That's very important. Are they doing what Muhammad did? Absolutely. Muhammad was a raider. So they're they're wow. fulfilling what their what the creator of their uh, political way of life. I don't like calling this a religion. In truth, it is a political idea ideal. Islam is not. So much religion as a masquerade as a religion. It is a political concept. They have their own laws, Sharia. They have their own government, caliph, their own style of government. Again, we're talking about the caliph being in charge of all this stuff. Um, they have a concept of government um, somewhat similar in vi- very little respect to like a, our Congress discusses things. They have a, a concept of collegiality where they would discuss things and then agree, and then that would be it. There is no discussion beyond that. <laughs> You're not allowed to say yes or no, I, I agree with, or don't agree with you. You can't say those things. You just have to accept. And this no. is the, I mean, we have Boko Haram targeting women. Why? Because they can get sex slaves, and that's a great motivation for people to become raiders. I mean, you think about that. You could own five different women. And you can do whatever you want. And that's what these men are doing. They consider this part of the way Muhammad ran his ran his whole when he ran his thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, maybe where Muhammad went wrong is he had too many wives and he couldn't please them all at once, and so it just kind of messed with his mind. <laughs> it's hard enough to love one. It's hard enough to love one woman for a lifetime, but uh, you get ten or fifteen. Oh my gosh. Anyway, I, I like to joke around a little bit. I want to go into something uh, that I think relates. Maybe you went down this alley, but it's kind of interesting. Um, a buddy turned me on to Oath Keepers, which I've been watching them. They're doing some good stuff. By the way, the Sugar Pine Mine, BLM backed down, so uh, the guards there, the security, quote-unquote security, yeah, they had guns. Um, they're disbanding because of a, a federal court order that the BLM back off from burning hmm. cabins and doing all this stuff. But so Oath Keepers had an article written by, I think he's the chief editor of Oath Keepers. His name's um, Elijah Alias, and he talks about the military-industrial complex and Jade Helm, which is a big um, red flag to a lot of people right now. The governor of Texas is calling up the National Guard to be around when they do the Jade Helm exercises. Well, this long-page dissertation is from an enormous amount of research. 
And one of the themes that keeps popping up is um, the military-industrial complex, which Dwight D. Eisenhower warned us of. You know, he said in his resignation mm-hmm. speech, in the councils of government, we must guard against the military-industrial complex. And um, the way his article spells it out with, you know, stunning research, um, just oathkeepers. I think it's .org or .com. Anyway, he spells out that what's what's been needed for those who want to make enormous amount of profit is you need a war and then another war. And he went through the number of tanks we had that skyrocketed, Liberty ships skyrocketed, everything skyrocketed, of course, in World War II. And then you get into the, they had to have another war to keep the sales of arms, which would be the Korean War. And then you got the Vietnam War. JFK, by the way, wanted to get out of Vietnam as soon as possible. And so um, that's, many speculate that's one of the reasons why he was shot um, mm-hmm. and killed. But the military-industrial complex needs a constant supply of war, if you will. And so with this need for the constant supply of war, they would have the constant supply of profits. And so they, they switched into the war on terror, quote, war on terror. So you, we might be having this, um, on the one hand, we're funding the terrorists, and then on the other hand, oh, my gosh, we've got to go to war against them now to feed the profiteers who, who want this. And by the way, you mentioned uh, checks and balances earlier. Uh, the government does have checks and balances sheet, a, a check and balance sheet, yes, for the corporations that build all this military <laughs> checks, equipment yeah. for all these pretend wars. So there there is a checks and balance sheet. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm wondering if you put that together. Or if you read that article on Oath Keepers, it's absolutely stunning. I'm, I'm absolutely impressed how well he writes and how um, he puts it together. That I wonder if the powers that be or the, the military industrial complex, I guess the question for you here, I wonder if they just have to keep manufacturing terror and war, So they, they and, but, but they're just thinking that the, the Islamic jihad's over there, ha, 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 funny, yeah, so what? They're not going to do anything over here, so but as long as we keep Americans afraid, the defense budget will skyrocket. Have you I seen think, that connection? I think. Um, and before you answer, and, Helm, and, and, uh, before real real quick, before you answer that, Paul, just want to do a little programming note here. Uh, that uh, after uh, you answer these uh, questions, we will be bringing Dan back on, and then we've got Joe in the line. I want to get Joe in, and then uh, we have Cindy who'll be uh, calling in shortly. Uh, so that's the order in which we'll get some things in. Because uh, I know we, unfortunately, we had the we got cut off when uh, we had Dan on, so we want to be able to bring him back uh, on uh, as, as well because he had that bad line. Then we want to get Joe in and then Cindy. Uh, but before we bring in uh, Dan, let's go ahead and uh, get your answers on college questions. Go ahead, Paul. Okay, I, I think connecting Jade Helm um, with the concept of Islamic terror is. Uh, or military arms is is kind of erroneous. I see um, the purpose of Jade Helm from everything I have read and seen of it is more the promotion of the concept of martial law. Um, to me, this is a fearful concept. It is another reason why Texas is 
being uh, very cautious, the governors being very cautious, um, and very much untrusting of what our president is planning on doing. Um, could he use Jade Helm to create a civil war? Uh, we have the, the interesting thing about the United States is we have a total voluntary uh, military. Everyone who has gone in is not dra- is not drafted. They chose to go in, and they choose to follow orders rather than are are given orders that they must follow like robots. Um, this is a very important concept to understand. Um, Jade Helm, I do not connect with the concept of uh, Islam at all. I, I, it is, perp- I would say I connect Jade Helm with the possible belief, some, some are, are stating, that Obama wants a third term. And this is a practice run for creating civil unrest that would result in martial law. Um, and that is a huge fear that people are talking about. Could this be it? I don't see a legal reason for Jade Helm to exist. Um, so I have my own issues with it. I, I do not believe it's a legal exercise in this country. Um, I think there's a serious, serious problem when we allow something like this in our own country. Um, until we get the, the right people in charge of our government, I'm talking about senators as well as representatives. Congress, the Congress needs to change. I don't care who they are that are currently in. I don't care if they're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever. If they're not going to take a stand against Jade Helm, then they also need to be removed. I do not see this as a good action on the part of the safety of America. Um, as far as the arms race um, that you're talking well, I, about. I, I totally um, agree with you that it's totally unnecessary. It's ridiculous. What what is going on? That's my biggest I, question, Jade Helm. But but yeah, the arms race, military industrial complex. Love to hear your comments on that. I don't see, I I don't see Obama connecting uh, the need for 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 selling arms and stuff like that, uh, or producing arms, with his support for uh, Islamic terror. Um, again, I am saying our president is supporting Islamic terror. I have an FOIAN, and I will be able to prove it in the near future. Um, I'm, in the, I'm in the process of working on that. Um, it's been approved, so some, hopefully sometime soon I'll be able to share that. Um, I'm waiting for information that will say, say exactly where the, our monies are going. But I, I do not believe our president has any belief, has any the way he thinks. I don't think he thinks in terms of, uh, well, we need to stay in the get this military going here and this operation there to support the sale of arms. If anything, he has taken actions that are inept for the purpose of allowing ISIS and uh, for the for purpose of allowing the Islamic State to exist. Um, he has not taken any um, action that would that would cut the head off the dragon, so to speak. He has not taken any action that would make uh, ISIS, sorry, the Islamic State inept. These are all things this president could do but chooses not to and has had the ability to do since the creation of ISIS. Um, Our president makes choices not to do that. Um, Then there is, 
talking about these other the concept of military race. I'm just going to say I, I don't see the connection. That's that's what I should say. That. <laughs> and back you to where? Oh well, that's I yeah. Guess. This is kind of interesting. The uh, maybe your perspective <laughs> might change when you read that article. I, I think it's erroneous to, to see. I, I really believe it's erroneous to see that he, this particular president, would would see a connection with that. I I, I think his whole goal well, is to, to to create the to to support the caliph, um, and, and he he will support. Um, I should say support the caliph. He, he might see himself as a future caliph. I don't know there. I have no um, belief there. He may, I, he. I think he's more likely. To see himself, our president is more likely to see himself as as the Messiah of Islam, which is yet um, the twelfth Imam. <laughs> yes, he sees himself. I can't even remember the name Mahdi. He sees himself as the Mahdi more than anything else, and I think that was his purpose in getting Iran to go and attack this, um, ISIS. His purpose was, if, if you have to understand, part of Islamic belief structure, there's an end time belief where there will be a huge battle between Muslims um, and they will be to the wiping out of the hypocrites. And this is one thing that Muhammad did himself, and they saw this as uh, if, if our president was able to facilitate Iran fighting the Islamic State, and if the Islamic State, let's say, wiped out all the Shiites then with their, now, with their access to the biological and chemical weapons that they have access to now could have been seen as the Mahdi. That's a scary well, concept. Uh, can you explain the difference between Shiite and Sudi and all that? I know they fight amongst themselves, but can you go into that a little deeper? I'm, I know some of it. I just want to get clarified. I didn't hear the question. Shiite versus Sudi. There's like a inner family rivalry or something. The Shiites hate the Sudi. The Sudi hate the Shiites. Can you explain a little bit more about how that all is? Well, or it's, or is? The Shiites versus Sunnis, um, there is hate and there is not hate. Um, interesting points to make. If if you think about Hamas, Hamas is working with Iran. Hamas is Sunni. Iran is Shiite. Um, Hezbollah is Shiite. Yet they are working with Sunnis and they get monies from them. As long as you are attacking Israel, as long as you are attacking the American people, you are supported by both Shiite and Sunni. Do they hate each other and distrust each other? Yes. You want to know where they disagree? They disagree with who was the who was the first person to inherit the role after uh I shouldn't say the word inherit, who was the who had the right to take the role as caliph? After Obama, that is the sorry after um, after Muhammad. Um, that is the that is what's happening. That is the only difference in their tr- in their real uh, in their belief structures. Who is who should be the successor to Muhammad? They agree on almost everything else, and this is why they can support each other uh, uh, in their attacks on Israel and their attacks on us. Was was, was the Iraq War Iran Iraq War Shiite Sunni? Yes. Okay. Interesting. And, and let's go ahead and uh, let's let's go ahead, folks, and bring along. I'm going to go ahead and bring uh, Dan back in, and then I want to bring in uh, Joe, and then 
I know Cindy said she could be calling a little bit, but let's go ahead and bring it back uh, to you, Dan. Uh, thank you very much uh, for calling back. Okay. Uh, first question, Bob, is uh, how am I sounding? Does it, is it coming in broken up? Yeah, it sounds better, much better now. I don't hear any of the broken up right now. Oh, that's good. There's so much to touch on. Um, this is a very complex situation, folks. It's not complicated. It's complex. Complicated is pickup sticks. You don't know where one thing meets another. But this is complex like a spider web or a brick wall. It actually has a pattern, and the pattern holds true with every new fact that we find. There's nothing that says this pattern is not correct. In the White House, right next to the president, the only person I've ever heard of who was the chief of staff who had their own Secret Service detail is Valerie Jarrett. Valerie Jarrett is from Iran. That's where her folks came from. She's an Iranian-American. I have no problem with that per se. Uh, however, Valerie Jarrett's relatives um, are highly, uh, were, were highly involved in the Communist Party. Now we have Hillary Clinton, who was our Secretary of State, and whose foundation, Bill and Hillary Clinton's foundation, was taking a lot of money from Mideast powers. Um, Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. her chief of staff, her, her body woman, as they call it, her main aide, is Huma Abedin, who had been married, or still is married, I guess, to uh, the Wiener fellow. Uh, <laughs> let's not go there with the jokes. Uh, Huma Abedin... <laughs> I, well, really, actually, I do have a I do have an update, uh, an election update. Actually, since you brought She's it up, a baby. is that um, yeah, about uh, about Weiner um, is that actually Eric Holder um, Holder is going to be his running mate oh, no. uh, if he gets the Democrats <laughs> election. So oh, we're no. going to have uh, you know Weiner as the uh, presidential with. Holder as his running mate, and it's going to be the Weeder Holder ticket. Oh, all right. You had to go there. Um, okay. <laughs> go ahead. I can. In any case, uh, Evidin, the Weeder Holder. Uh, okay. <laughs> her, her, her family is all Muslim Brotherhood insiders, very powerful. She's allegedly not, but she has close relationships with these people. Um, if you look at, at all the connections, McCain, we were talking about earlier, pushing for the free, so-called free Syrian rebel army to get all these arms and posing with all these people who turn out to be al-Qaeda. This was right around the same time as Benghazi, folks, right after Benghazi. And what seems to be coming out in Benghazi, there are credible news reports which are finally confirming. I would be happy if they denied it, but they're not. They're confirming the suspicions that we had, which is that uh, when Gaddafi was knocked out of power, um, all those Libyan arms that he had been stockpiling. Remember, he'd given up his nuclear ambitions, given up his chemical weapons that we didn't even know about, gave them up when we invaded Iraq because he was scared. But he kept plenty of conventional weapons, including things that will shoot down airliners and knock out tanks and heavy equipment. Um, these things were being transshipped using Turkish ships. Erdogan in Turkey is no friend of the West at, through to Syria. Now, the yes. Syrian Free Rebel Army basically joined ISIS. ISIS was getting nowhere. They were a fringe group in Iraq. They, nobody wanted to have anything to do with these people because they're scary. And they kill people. They cut their heads off. Um, so they moved into the power vacuum of the civil war in Syria. And when they got a hand, their hands on those weapons, and when um, Obama made that illegal 
released from Guantanamo without congressional approval, um, all of a sudden they became somebody powerful and they went back into Iraq and they took Mosul. Uh, if you look at what Kelly was talking about, this, this the war on terror, we've been in a war, a nonstop war since the 60s on poverty, and it hasn't won, but they're still spending trillions on it. Poverty is worse today. There's been a war on drugs, which has succeeded in nothing good whatsoever. Uh, listen, I'm not saying I'm in favor of drugs for, for people, certainly not for children. If people want to do it, though, it's their business. You're never going to be able to legislate it. I thought we would have learned our lesson with prohibition, which simply made politicians corrupt and gangsters powerful. But no, the whole idea is not only to exhaust us with constant war and to bankrupt us by funneling money to the pals in, uh, of the people in power, but it's also to make us accept the loss of our Constitution. Uh, they, they laugh at it. Pelosi and, and, and McCain and Boehner and McConnell, they laugh at our Constitution. Or at best, if they're feeling the pressure in election season, they'll give it some lip service. But they don't run mm -hmm. a constitutional government. They have no care for checks and balances. My God, after all that Obama's done, we've merely given free trade power, fast-track power, a simple up-or-down vote to Obama to basically give America away to corporations in the Pacific Rim. Now, you're talking about cutting off the head of a dragon um, there, uh, Paul, and you know, I don't think it's possible to do that. Uh, the Islamic worldview is mean enough and widespread enough that uh, cutting off the head of a dragon isn't going to work. It, listen, folks, uh, the way that we're supposedly waging war, the so-called civilized war, poverty, on terror, on all the other things, that's BS. Listen, um, if we had a president who was for real, if we had uh, congressional and Senate people who were for real, if we actually had a vibrant country and we realized we were fighting for our lives, if we were, we'd fight a war, the way they fought a war in World War II. And that's all out. That's mm -hmm. a war. And when you fight that sort of war... A lot of very, very bad things happen, but that is what it's going to come to if we don't start getting things right now. We don't have to get to that point. There are glimmerings of a movement within Islam to reform it and bring it away from all the barbarism, the slavery, slavery, folks, real slavery, the, the uh, sexual degradation the, uh, the, of women, the, the, the abuse and murder of gay people, the, the just... Mm -hmm. and the taxing, the, the, um, I forget what they call it uh, offhand, um, but the, the taxation of anybody who they permit to actually live there who isn't a Muslim, um, you have to pay a fee. Yeah, jizya. Uh You have to pay a fee, folks, and that's only assuming they're willing to accept the fee. They can take anything you've got. Legally, it's theirs. And if they want to kill you, believe me, they can do it. They're doing this in the Middle East. They're murdering tens of thousands of Christians, and if they could get their hands on the Jews, so they, people say, well, why haven't they attacked Israel? Well, um, Israel is in a war, and Israel understands what war is about, although they do their mm -hmm. best to protect civilians. And I, I, yeah, and I want to hear from all these Palestinian apologists. Uh, I've got friends from the Middle East, not only Israelis, but Arabs as well, some who've lived in Syria, some who've lived in Lebanon before Lebanon was uh, destroyed, and, and some who, who've been from Egypt, and even those Arabs who live in Israel, 
And they're all telling me the same thing, whether they like it or not. They all tell me the truth. Israel's doing, they have, they have abuses, like any government does. They have mistakes. They own up to their mistakes. They pay the price. They have one of their own prime ministers in jail right now for corruption and sexual misconduct. We haven't done that here ever. And believe me, we've had candidates who, who should be there. Um, just to wrap up the, the comments on some of the things that we've been talking about, as far as Jade Helm goes, there's a fellow I know very well named Pete Lantieri, L-A-N-T-E-R-I. If you put him in on uh, Facebook, you'll find this uh, counter-Jade Helm exercise. Pete was a Marine, and Pete is very hard-headed. He's got a good sense of humor. I'll give you that. Um, but he's not looking for crazy conspiracy theories or just speculation as to what Jade Helm might or might not be. It could be a lot of things. But given the fact that soldiers train as they fight, and they're not training to fight a foreign foe with Jade Helm, they're trained to infiltrate uh, and extract dissidents in America. That's what they're training to do. Um, Right now, we're trying to find out through credible, verified, and verifiable sources what's actually going on. We're using this as an exercise without arms to peacefully track them. They're supposed to see if they can infiltrate. Well, we're going to see if we can catch them infiltrating and blow their cover to everybody. There are no tunnels under the the Walmarts. None of the Walmarts that shut down, which appear to have been for union purposes, I don't know for certain, but none of because they were trying to unionize, none of them have been turned into detention facilities that there's any proof of plenty of ideas out there of what this might be. It's all very useful. We can speculate all we want, but let's look at facts. Now, if you're going to speculate, let's take facts that you know for sure. We know for sure that the border is wide open, that the Obama administration's uh, Department of Homeland Security is actively defying federal court and federal appellate court orders to cease and desist. We know that tens of thousands of if not more, per day are flooding across the border. We also know that the majority of the people coming across right now are not Mexicans or even Central Americans. They're mostly Chinese and Arabic. Neither are really our friend. Are there some good people in there who are just trying to get a better life? I'm sure there are. Uh, Too bad that we can't afford to take them all in right now, and I would say get out. Come get in the back of the line, come in the legal way if you really mean to be an American. But the fact is, with porous borders like this, and jihadis specifically saying they mean to infiltrate and they mean to cause damage, I have no doubt that they're going to take advantage of this. This is not um, anything really wild or conjectural. They're here. They're going to do something. And this could be used as a provocation. Even if even if the federal government has credible intelligence that says that there's going to be some sort of attack by jihadis, and they're pre-positioning under the cover of an exercise called Jade Helm, the mere fact that they're permitting the border to be open instead of using our military pointed away from the mainland towards the border to stop this influx, and the fact that they're pre-positioning, meaning to use it, as a, as a provocative excuse, is it, it's an indictment of not their ineptitude, but of their craven corruption, of the, their evil. Um, and it won't work. It won't work. We saw what happened in Texas when Pamela Geller had a contest for Draw Muhammad, and an aging guy, he's actually older than me, he's 60, 
and uh, he just uh, pulled out a service uh, pistol and shot two jihadis who were armed with uh, automatic weapons, uh, or at least semi-autos, some rifles, and they were wearing body armor, and he put them down with shots to the head. Now, if it comes down, most of the people I know uh, don't carry, but I know an awful lot who do, and I know an awful lot more who could, and I know an awful lot who don't like violence and they don't want any sort of, of problems. But if it comes down to it, the federal government cannot possibly, even if they brought foreign troops in, they possibly uh, enforce any sort of martial law except in specific concentrated areas. There's no way. There's no way there's enough personnel to do that. That would require full-out war. And right now, Russia has nothing in it for Russia. There's nothing in it for China, and there's nobody else in the world who can ma- uh, mass that kind of manpower and that kind of uh, logistics to actually do that. So I think we're pretty safe from that, folks, unless they get really desperate. So we've got to leave these people an out, okay? And the out is if you allow us to take back the government and restore constitutionalism, most of you won't go to jail. Most of you won't even be charged. You'll get to keep most of your looted stuff because we won't have the evidence in court to take it from you. And you can start over again, and they will immediately. Um, But, folks, you know what happens when there's an all-out war, whether it's a civil war or whether it's a war against an external enemy? What happens is savagery. An awful lot of good people are sacrificed, sometimes for nothing. But in the end, those who were committing the atrocious acts, those who were the enemy of whoever we were fighting, end up completely and utterly destroyed. Very few of them get away. And when they do, they've got nothing compared to what they would have had had they not pushed that. Now, this doesn't work with fanatics. Okay, The, the fanatics uh, who, true, who are true believers, they're going to keep going anyway. So what? So you wipe them out. That's the answer, and and that's what it's going to come to if we don't start doing what's proper right now. We have a limited time left, folks, and and here's the good news. I'm going to wrap it up, Bob. This is the very, very good news. Most of you watch the mainstream media, or you look at social media, and you're saying, oh, my God, we're losing on every battle, every front. Oh, there's a tiny little win. It's nothing, and you get depressed. Folks, we're winning. We're winning big Every time we step up and stick our necks out, they back down. Every time they mess with us, they back down. Every time that we decide we're going to do something, we win. We've been winning. We've been winning for over four years now. And, and I don't mean putting Republicans in name only in office. We failed on that front because we didn't take them in the primary. Okay, and, and there's even glimmerings of hope within the Democratic Party, not the establishment, within the left, that they're starting to get fed up with uh, some of these uh, constitutional abuses, and they're starting to want to take it back. You've seen this. They're going after TP, the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Who can believe this? They're going after the, the Patriot Act. Who can believe this stuff? It's wonderful. But we're winning. And the only thing it's going to take for us to continue winning is for us to continue getting more unified, more organized, and to absolutely ignore all the negativity that says we're not winning. And we've got a war, folks. Listen, if even if, and it's not a, a foregone conclusion, we take back our government, we've got 
serious enemies in this world to fight. Primarily the very first one, the one that's going to cause us the biggest problem because they have a lot of fanatics in it. Russia, they're not about to attack us when it's in their best interest not to attack us and when they could pay a price. China, maybe they don't mind taking a price so much, but believe me, they're looking long-term. They'd much rather do it peacefully, okay? We'll worry about them over the horizon. For right now, the biggest threat is Islam. And I don't even, I used to say radical Islam, but the more I study, the more I realize that there really isn't any difference. And a recent poll just came out that had good methodology that showed that about 81% of the Arab world approves of ISIS, approves of murdering infants and cutting the heads off of Christians. Back to you, Bob. So Paul, and I'm going to bring that back to you. And then after your comments uh, in relation to what Dan said, we're going to go ahead and bring in Joe, and then we're going to have uh, you and Cindy, and anyone who likes to uh, chime in after that, give us a call at 347-945-7428. And part of a proj- um, program note is that in about 40 minutes, a little less, uh, that if you don't call in, it's a 347-945-7428. Not only will you not be able to chime in and join our roundtable discussion here, uh, you will not uh, even be able to listen to the extended period of the show, which will go into the final uh, possible hour. And so we'll just give us a call at 347-945-7428. If you'll not be able to join us for the extended period, of course, the show is archived and available on podcast to the show for you to listen to the rest of the show in its entirety as well as to download and, of course, share the link uh, with folks out there so they can hear the show as well with our guest on, Paul, and about uh, what he's uh, been doing and also uh, his books as well. So let's go ahead and bring it back to you, Paul, and then we'll bring in Joe and then Cindy. And then if uh, we have time for anyone else uh, in the audience uh, to uh, chime in or if they even just want to listen in, uh, give us a call at that number. Go ahead, Paul. I think um, I think – a lot of a lot of the things he said were were entirely accurate. Um, we have to be careful. Um, yes, this country is not able to uh, implement martial law across the entire country. I agree with that. I think what the truth is is that Jade Helm will be looked at as an example of what to do. Um, again, I, we're we're very much in agreement that Jade Helm should not exist. And uh, yes, it is being seen as a way to infiltrate and uh, basically attack, in many ways, people who are of the Tea Party is, is one of the things that's being looked at. Um, and yes, it, I, I also agree that Islam, Islam uh, the political entity of Islam, is, I have to look at it this this way from, it's a, I, again, I'm saying this is politics. It is, Islam is a political uh, belief. It is not a religion. It, is, it masquerades as a religion because they want you and I to follow their laws. That is a governmental view. It is not a religion. Um, this is what they insist we follow, um, and it's very important to understand what are they what are they going to do. They are going to stone anybody who has sex outside of marriage. Um, if you are a homosexual. They will throw you down from a high place. It could be a 45-story building. It could be a 20-story building. They won't care. 
Um, and this, these are things that they will do and are doing in the Islamic State. They look at they look at the Islamic State as implementing Sharia. So they are being supported. Uh, and this is why you'll find people from all over the all over the United States and Canada um, who do support them, um, if only verbally. Uh, this is a not a, not a surprise. Um, I've actually I actually talked to Muslims a lot, and you know I only met one maybe two people that do not want Sharia. One said he didn't want Sharia for the purpose of not being recognized as having saying he supported it. The other said um, the other who did not want Sharia was because he actually moved here from a country that was implementing Sharia, and he feared that. Now, he didn't like the idea of seeing people's hands get cut off for stealing. Um, he didn't like the barbarity of it. He, he thought that countries that did not use Sharia were, were more, quote, civilized. He didn't like the terminology, but that is the truth behind it. So he's a, he's a Muslim who, in many respects, is against his own belief structure by not wanting Sharia. Because Sharia was our laws and rules that were given by guess who? Muhammad. Uh, so, that, again, he is going against his own faith structure by saying he doesn't want Sharia. So, to say, this is an interesting thing, so he's against the politics which Islam is. He wants, so people are, some people are claiming there are more, there is two different kinds of Islam. There is cultural and there is the political entity. Um, again, I'm leaving the concept of religion out. I view Islam as not as not at all a religion. It is, in fact, a political movement. And we start looking at it like this, and then we can then we can truly address the problem. Is it uh, considered prejudice to to circle your wagons around uh, a group of people that are trying to implement laws here that do not belong here in this country? Um, we have uh, places in America like Seattle. Excuse me. Uh, about to sneeze, <laughs> and we have Seattle, Seattle, Washington. They tried to implement Sharia to get a women's swim. They did it. They got a women's all women's swim. So here's what they did: they put, uh, they papered up over all the windows so no one could look in. All the male staff that worked at the pool had to leave the building. They could not be there. They had to be sent home so the women could have a swim. Wow. Now. This is the stuff that ha this happened in Seattle. Uh, my editor um, actually was reading my research on this, and she was shocked because I was writing basically about her neighborhood. And there was another place out where she lives. Actually, she lives in Wash. I, I believe she lives in Washington. And um, I was writing about a, commun a community, and she was like, "This is my community. I didn't know this information." And she was she was just shocked that this was all happening in her area. Um, fantastic editor. She was she was again the funny thing about my editor and all this. She is a liberal, but she wholeheartedly believes what I wrote is accurate and true and didn't know what to think. We have uh, again we ha Turkey is we talk about Turkey being um, on the side of the Muslim Brotherhood. There is one guy who is against Erdogan, but probably still a friend of Muslim Brotherhood, 
who is Gulen, um, who leads the Gulen School Movement. And they are in um, almost every major city in the United States. Uh, they're actually here in he's Rochester, about, uh, New York 30, also. 30 miles from here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, he's in Pennsylvania. His actual yeah. compound is in Sailorsburg, which in is up Poconos. in the Poconos. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. This, this man is a very dangerous man to the point where he had to leave his country for the safety, for his safety. And um, what I mean by that, if, if he hadn't left, he would have, he would have created a, a split in the government that could have created uh, civil unrest to a possible civil war. Yet he was he's allowed to be here. Um, here's what's happening. Uh, even the CIA agrees with me on this one, which is interesting. When the CIA uh, makes a statement about what's about the Gulen schools, that is so rev- that I'm going to read this in a minute. It's so revealing about what's really happening. If you are if you send a child to a Gulen school, you're sending them to a, a school predominantly run by people who do not speak English as their first language. They get sent here from Turkey, uh, and they have to give a percentage of their salary back to the school. Now, again, this is this is all underhanded. Very uh, quote, it's, it's illegal, but it's underhanded. So they're sending people here to do jobs that supposedly we don't have uh, people do jobs. One of the jobs they got sent here in Rochester, New York, to do um, for, at the Rochester Academy Charter School, um, they sent a principal here. Apparently we don't have enough you know, not Americans to do the job of a principal. They sent a man here to become an academic dean. Hmm. Well, that's, a, that's an administrator in school, so I, you know, I think we have plenty of people willing to do that here in the United States. Private school or charter school, you don't have to have the certifications that everybody else does. So, and now, now, here's a job I'm still trying to figure out. I've been in education over 20 years, almost 30, and um, I've never heard this job before. If any of you have heard this job, please tell me, because I don't know what this means. Educational Operations Coordinator. They sent two people to Rochester, New York, to fill those two jobs. Somebody tell me what that means. Educational Operations Coordinator. Um, you see one in the school, anybody? Because I haven't. Yet, they get this H-1B status. Sorry, what? No, I haven't. Isn't that amazing? They can create a job, and, and these people are cleared to come here and, and take the job because apparently there are no Americans to fill the job. I don't even know what that job is. Never heard of it, never saw it in 30 years. My father, who taught 30 years, never saw it. He taught 35 years. My, I have a sister in education. She never saw it. Um, I have yet to meet somebody in education who actually knows what this means. I've, I've, I mean, my book has gone on. I don't know how many uh, sales I've had yet. I'm looking at nobody can tell me what this job is. And it's right here in, you know, in the charter schools for Gulen, educational operations coordinator. Uh, and you apparently need two of them for a small school. Uh, their school is not huge. <laughs> it's not huge. So let me tell you what the CIA says about sending people in Gulen jobs. This came from, thank you to WikiLeaks. Uh, this is a CIA release. It said, we are concerned by the link with the charter schools in the U.S. that have petitioned for marginally qualified H-1B candidates. The Kentucky Consular Center and our posts in Turkey have started 
compiling list of these Gulenist charter schools in the U.S. for use in visa adjudication. These applicants were simply not convincing and did not seem as fully in tune with Gulen's approach to education and might be using the reputation of the school as a cover to get to the U.S. Uh, to the U.S. Post. After discussions with others in the region that seem, seem similar applicants, recommends that these H-1B candidates receive a high degree of scrutiny before any visas are approved, especially since it seems that our counselor sections are uncovering additional information that may enhance DHS adjudication of these petitions. They're saying, don't trust these people. Okay, wait, the CIA is saying this. What is our State Department doing? Oh, well, let's see. That was under, I believe this was written under Hillary Clinton. Oh, well, they didn't do anything. Um, yeah, she can't claim, she can't even claim that she's still over here. Yeah, we, well, we could have stopped them. No, our Hillary Clinton didn't even do that. <laughs> so she can't even claim that. She had a chance, didn't do it. We have so many little actions here happening uh, that it's just an amazing thing. Go to your local college and see what they're offering in in the classes, um, if, if, they ha- if they have Islamic, Islamic classes. Um, they are the Muslim Student Association, the first entity of the Muslim Brotherhood here in the United States, has become um, so prolific. It is on over 750 campuses in the North America. That's a huge amount of colleges. What are they spending their funds on? Um, what are they spending college club money on? These are important things to ask. I tried sending... Uh, Freedom of Information Act request to the colleges. The college was using club money. Here's what they were do- they're changing to do now, so they don't have to share what the stu- what the students are using the money for. They're creating um, colleges are now creating funds called uh, college club funds and making them into private entities, nonprofits rather than state state funds. So now they're saying that these private entities. Uh, our nonprofits are the ones controlling the club funds. So if, so you can no longer get information on how club funds are being used. And this is happening, so it destroys any ability to track what the Muslim Brotherhood is using money for in the Muslim Student Association. It's a, it's a terrible travesty. Um, I found evidence in New York State, SUNY New Paltz had paid for students to go to New York University to listen to Sir Haj Wahaj speak. Um, Sir Haj Wahaj is an undicted co-conspirator for the first bombing of the World Trade Center. He is a he runs a mosque that is has been targeted by the FBI and by New York police as being one of the most dangerous places and most prolific places to find terrorists, potential terrorists, and they have been right every time that they found them there. Well, if you keep finding people there, isn't it good reason to keep them under observation? And yet, uh, they have been ordered to stand down. These are things I still can't get. Wow. When, At this point, oh, go ahead, uh, Paul. I don't understand why we can't defend our country, why we can't do what's right. And if someone could figure that out, please tell me. I mean, why is it that in my in schools now, we are we stopped teaching about the Roman Empire. Guess what we're teaching now? We're teaching about the Islamic Empire. This is standard things that we're teaching in tenth grade to students. 
They won't even teach about the Roman Empire. They teach about the Byzantine Empire. They'll teach about the Gupta Empire. But they don't really even address the Roman Empire anymore. Hmm. What is the purpose? I Let's mean, see if we... Go ahead. Well, the purpose is to, is to promote a misconception of what Islam really teaches. And that's that's a scary, scary place to be. Nothing I can do to stop it at this point. I'm trying to figure out what I can do as an educator to stop this. And unless I get out of education, um, and I don't know. I mean, I can't. I cannot do anything from my position as an educator to stop this. This is where it gets scary. Yeah, it looks like we'd have to go to the uh, perhaps the school boards or the superintendents. Uh, that being said, let's go ahead and uh, bring in uh, our friend Joe. Uh, bring him into the show. Yes, I meant to have that rhyme. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring him in from New York. Perhaps he's got some uh, insights that he could give us. But, yeah, as I was saying earlier, perhaps uh, an answer to your question is uh, for folks to get on the school boards, uh, become superintendents, of uh, do things locally, and that would be a good place to start. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring in Joe. Thank you very much, Joe, for your patience uh, to come inside. How are you? Very good, Robert. It's always a pleasure to be on. How are you? Right. Uh, first, I wanted to uh, address a few points Dan made, and then Paul. First of all, Dan, uh, I haven't heard from you for, well, I haven't called in for a few weeks, but um, you were greatly missed, so it's great to have you back uh, on the panel. Thank you, Joe. Always a pleasure. And, um, uh, you know, you really hit on a lot of points I actually wanted to bring up. And I think one of the main points you hit, it, you you nailed the nail on the coffin, as they would say, or well, hopefully I got the saying correct, uh, is that the only way hit we the are on the going head. to defeat Nate <laughs> hit the nail on the head. There you go. Thanks. Hit the nail on the head. And the only way we can truly defeat ISIS is if we have a, 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 a we, only way we can defeat them is by fighting the way we combated in World War Two, And that is reality. I mean, top Military analysts have said it. Um, you know, uh, many former military analysts, uh, uh, you know, uh, ambassador, uh, former ambassador uh, Bolton has stated that. Um, you know, the airstrikes are just not doing it. And uh, the only way we can win is we need air, land, and sea. And uh, my fear is the longer we uh, uh, we don't fight the enemy or engage the enemy as we should. How powerful ISIS has become. I see a trend that's very scary, uh, and I've made this point on um, uh, Bart's logic many times. I see uh, that most of the uh, global community does not want to engage in a war, similar to uh, post World War One. Uh, after World War One, I, uh, I think. Uh, the whole global community was very war-weary as we are United States after fighting a long war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And um, as the Nazis grew in their power uh, in 1933, uh, they, in a short span of time, from 1933 to 1939, uh, became the most powerful military force in the world. And still, uh, they made a lot of uh, bold moves, such as the invasion of France, um, invading Poland, 
um, seizing a lot of territory in Europe, um, it was clear that they were uh, committing mass genocide with the Jews. Still, the United States and most global countries did not want to intervene. Everyone was war-weary after World War I, but here's the problem. Because the United States and most of the world sat back and allowed the Nazis from a very small party in 1933 to become the most powerful military might to 1939, I see the global community making that same mistake with ISIS as if history will repeat itself. And it's sad, Dan, because if we haven't learned our lessons from World War II, which cost 50 million lives, if we didn't learn our lessons from appeasing Hitler and from allowing the Germans to make so many, the Nazis make so many bold moves before there was actually uh, boots on the ground, I fear we're doing the same exact thing with ISIS. We're allowing them to grow into a very powerful, um, very powerful, uh, not like a terror group, but a very powerful army. As you, uh, And um, I see the global community doing the same thing they did uh, prior to World War II, do not intervene. Okay, you know, when, um, when the Nazis uh, took over uh, France and, um, you know, they invaded in Holland and, and they made moves to, uh, you know, uh, go in Vienna, the whole world stood silent except for uh, Great Britain. Uh, and um, that is my fear. Right now we have a president who will not define what the en- who the enemy is or what the enemy is. So therefore, how can we have a clear strategy in the war if he won't define who the enemy is? Yeah, God help us, Joe, if... Uh... Radical, not radical. If, the Islam, if any Islamic state besides Pakistan right now, and they are proliferating, if if they get the bomb, the only reason Pakistan is not as much of a threat is because is, India has the bomb, and Pakistan is afraid mm-hmm. to start anything because they'll get clobbered. Um, but right. if if Iran or any or ISIS or uh, you know the it, it, this new I don't even know what you'd call it over there, caliphate. If they get their right. hands on the bomb, they're going to use it. They're not going oh, to yes. use it for deterrence. They're not going to use it to keep people from messing with them so that they can oppress their own people, which they do a pretty darn good job of. They're going to use it on us. Agreed. Agreed, then. Uh, or Israel, most likely. Oh, yeah, Israel, and not only that, all of, all of Western civilization, all of, uh, all of our allies, so, you know, most of Europe. With, I, don't, I don't know, Dan, do you think they would attack Russia? Maybe Russia may be the only exception in Europe since Russia seems to be very friendly with Iran, but I would assume that they would pretty much attack every other European nation as well. I think Remember Russia may be the only exception. Remember one thing more? about fanatics is that fanatics – uh, who are absolutely bonkers, crazy, um, uh-huh. they're, they're really easy to deal with because even though they can cause a lot of damage, nobody wants to follow them. They're crazy. But the Nazis, even <laughs> though they were fanatic, were logical. And the Soviets and the Chinese communists and the people running Iran and North Korea today and the people in ISIS, they're not crazy fanatics. They're logical fanatics. Right. Their belief system is very, very strong. It's, it's overwhelming 
to the extent where they are willing to commit any sort of atrocity on other people, anything exactly. at all. But they're not complete fools. They are careful. They're planners. I would not discount the intelligence, and I don't mean the information, but the brain power of the people we are opposing. Look, in our own country, the people who are in charge are not inept. They may seem it. They're smart as hell. They wouldn't have been able to get us this far if they weren't. Right. Um, and the people we're facing as enemies and potential enemies across this world, and it is not a happy world, and it's never been a happy world. That's a fantasy. Um, those people are not stupid. They will yeah. do the smart thing. So the only exactly. thing a bully uh, will respect, the only thing that uh-huh. keeps a bully in their place, if Hitler had seized the Sudetenland, and we're not going to try revisionist history, but if he had tried his initial move against Czechoslovakia, and right. all of the West had done as Hitler expected and stood up, he was expecting that. He was not prepared for it. He, he thought, there's a 50-50 chance, and I'm going to take the risk and see what happens. Because the worst case is he had to withdraw his troops 20 or 30 miles across, back across the border and, and uh, threaten everybody if they invaded him and they wouldn't have had the guts to invade him. But had they stood up at that point, exactly. had they really stood up in 39 when, when Poland was being divided right. between the Soviets and, and Germany, we would never have had this problem. On the other hand, uh, Hitler was working on the bomb and all kinds of fantastic wonder right. weapons, which we have today. So maybe it's a good thing mm-hmm. in in retrospect, in hindsight, that he was able to, to push things too quick. That's one thing that is good about fanatics, when you have to fight them. Right. Um, they're, they're logical, yes, but they take too many risks, right. and they're too impatient. They're, they're not willing to, to wait for it. This is a danger, folks, but it's also an opportunity. No, Dan, you're absolutely right. I go ahead, Dan. Uh, be, go ahead, Joe. I happen, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I I happen to be a, a no, big ahead, fan of of, of uh, World War II, and I have studied a lot of documentaries about World War II. And it's true that they even say had the European countries, such as Britain or France, intervened in 1938 when Hitler was seizing land. And back then, Hitler did not even have the troop capacity that he needed to really invade these countries. I mean, he went on a whim uh, and waited to see what was going to be France's and Britain's reaction. And had Britain and France even reacted in 38, uh, I don't think it would have ever even happened. They would have been able to stop Germany right in their tracks. And, um, you know, you're absolutely correct. Uh, Anyone who thinks that these Islamic... um, jihadists are stupid, uh, they are seriously undermining them uh, in doing so because these people uh, are fanatics, you're right, and that makes them even more dangerous because when you're a fanatic, you're willing to die for your cause or you're willing to achieve your cause at whatever cost. Or Or kill your children for your cause and a lot of times that we think. Oh, yes. Or, you know, by killing someone, you're going to, you know, meet 70 virgins in heaven and that's going to be some glorious thing. Uh, absolutely right. Um, but I yeah, mean, but they're virgin goats. I mean, really. Yeah, it's 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 a joke. Uh, yep. Seventy virgins. Wow. Well, I guess well, I, I, really has them. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. I was going to talk about a cartoon, but maybe we'll uh, we'll do that oh, no, no, at no, Bard's no. Logic after dark. I'll tell a little cartoon. I seen one time about that. Oh yeah, sure. So um, back to my point. What I was saying is. Um, 
if anyone has been paying attention to the latest cities that uh, ISIS has seized, such as Ramadi and Fallujah, which uh, we fought twice to seize Ramadi uh, back during the surge and uh, during the uh, George W. Bush administration, these people are logical. They're strategic. The fact that they've been able to take over almost every major city that the United States won in the surge and successfully uh, won in, uh, uh, after uh, uh, taking over uh, Iraq, I mean, they pretty much all the blood and treasure that was spilled pretty much all for nothing because ISIS is pretty much you look at Ramadi. Mm-hmm. town. Exactly, and, and taken over everything. Every every territory that we seized, it, it's it's gone. These people are logical. They're strategic. They know what they're doing, and they're not to be messed around with. They're not to be taken as uh, 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 lightly. And I I couldn't believe uh, the press secretary for the Obama administration. Oh well, you know the fault. The fact that Ramadi fell is a setback. I mean, these people either have to be the most incompetent, inept people I've ever heard. Or either they're just out of touch with reality or they're living in la-la land then. I don't know. But to even make a comment like Not that, it's like, wow. I was like, you've got to be kidding. If that's a setback, then I'd like to see what your definition of, of, of what a defeat is, you know, honestly. The, the and, I think is... want to, um, and here's how we're going to do it, gentlemen, ladies, uh, is – but we'll have uh, Paul chime in. Now, Paul, do we got a question for I know you said uh, in our correspondence uh, you'd be able to give us a couple hours this evening, and we're unfortunately coming up on uh, that second hour pretty quickly. I do have one more uh, person of the panel who'd like to uh, chime in and discuss with you, So, uh, but uh, we'll uh, want to be able to get everybody in before you have to go. Now, two things okay. uh, I'll be bringing in. Will you be able to stay with us a little bit longer, or you really have to go with uh, the um, about the 12 minutes that we got I'll left try, here. I'll try and answer the next question. I did want to say, there's a couple of things I want to say before we go on. Um, the, he, he spoke of what they would do if they got a hold of the bomb, and would they attack us or someplace else. Um, you have to understand the perp- what the, the bomb would create such devastation that it would not be habitable. So it would have to be set off in Darl Harb, which would have to be um, either in Europe or here um, instead of in Israel, they, that's another good possibility. However, remember they they want to take over that particular land uh, in Israel. So I don't know if they would bomb Israel as much as they keep saying that. Um, probably more likely they would attack hmm. here. Um, the other the one Western place that they do want to take back in their own mind, which they they in their mind they own, is Spain which they refuse to call Spain. They call it Andalusia. Um, so would they attack there with it, this bomb? Um, if they could still claim it as Andalusia, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of questions to, to be answered yet. Um, he wants to know why, uh, why we're not doing anything. Again, the answer is simple. We have a State Department and a, uh, and a military that will only issue statements that coordinate with the current um, mission of the of, of the president, which is to say everything is hunky dory. Um, that there is nothing wrong, and that, pres- that President Obama's statements are always right. 
So that's that's why we have a uh, a, a basic uh, State Department and um, military who cannot make statements that this is a, a huge problem, or they will not make statements that make Obama look bad. Um, governments that do that are propagandists, and that's what we now have. We do not have a truthful government. We have a propaganda ministry. All right. <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh, since we we've got a few more minutes left with our guest, let's go ahead and uh, bring Cindy in real quick. Thank you very much, Cindy, for coming in. How are you? Well, I'm doing fine. How are you, gentlemen, this evening? Good. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, I have two questions, and um, uh, thanks for uh, being here, by the way, um, Paul and. Uh, I hope you'll keep up the good work. And I I was not here at the beginning of your, um, of the show. And so I wanted to know what the name of the book was that you said you wrote. Um, Civilization Jihad and the Myth of Modern Islam is my, is my second book. It's, it's, uh, probably the best one I've written yet. I may have another one I'm working on. I'm trying to decide. I, my summers, that's when I have my time to write and spend tons of time researching. Um, so that's, it, it discusses uh, many of the things that our president does not like. Um, like he's, he insists that there is, there is such a thing as a, a peaceful Muslim Brotherhood group, um, yet my second chapter is entitled Know Thy Enemy, The Violent History of the Moderate Group, a.k.a. the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, and it goes into a discussion of the history of Islam of the Muslim Brotherhood. It discusses whether it is jihad Islamic. Um, it goes into the history of what of what that word means. Um, and then we talk about what civilization jihad is and how it's being undertaken here in the United States and in Canada. Um, that's that's what the book is about. <laughs> Sorry for taking too much time there. Oh, these are well, all purchasable on Amazon. Okay, and would you put just put the title of it's kind of long, so put it put it in the chat for us when you get a chance. But anyway, um, also you're a school teacher, and I'm I'm wondering is there any um, are there any textbooks at all that a public school teacher can use? Uh, is there anything written out there that actually tells the truth about? Um, the Muslims and jihad and all that, or there are no textbooks that will tell, no currently written textbooks that I can find that tell the truth. Okay, um, that's, that's I, I recommend saying. people call uh, look, call their local uh, Act for America group um, to to see if they they recommend any particular group uh, textbook. They are the best organization on this particular topic. Um, I don't recommend any textbooks currently. I can't yeah, find I any that, that address it. You know, yeah, because somebody had just mentioned earlier, I, I don't know if it was Kelly or um, Dan, but, you know, go out and get um, involved in your po- local politics, school board or whatever. But really it's like we have a bunch of conservatives on our school board here right now because we worked really hard to get that. And there's nothing available for them to you know, put out there to change the textbook. Yeah. Local local school boards can't do anything regarding the education, uh, what has to be taught. This is the state level. Um, you have to be involved in the Board of Regents. 
It is the mm-hmm. only way you can change anything in your state education. Um, that's it. Unless you get appointed to the Board of Regents, unless you get people appointed to that, you cannot change what is taught in your state. And currently, most states are receiving uh, instructions from the feds now through Common Core, which is totally right. evil uh, on right. so many different levels. Um, and in some places, people like me who are educators get blasted for telling the truth about this. Um, there are no such thing as educators who believe in the Common Core. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I work with a couple hundred people who who love teaching, yet can't wait to leave teaching because Common Core does not allow us to tell the truth in many cases. Um, yeah. Whether it's history, whether it's whether it's math, what, no matter what level it is, Common Core is the destruction of public education. Well, and I hope you'll come back on the show another time and, and discuss that with us. Um, you, we ought to get you and Karen showing together on that one. I'll recommend somebody topic. else who, who knows far more than me <laughs> before <laughs> I do that one. Um, and there's, well, there's some. I have some wonderful friends who'd be better for you. You're important because you have hands-on. You're in there. You're, you have hands-on information. Well, these about are teachers. These are teachers. Okay. I'll recommend. <laughs> well, now you know you you mentioned the um you know the taking of Ramadi um and you know everything else that they've been doing and by the way as they go into these cities they're ravaging all the women raping children and women um grabbing up every young girl uh they can kidnapping and selling into slavery and um it's 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 an absolute travesty what they're doing but i i fully believe that obama is doing it on purpose because he he wants the jihadists to take over. He is uh, he is um, radical now. Whether or not it's because he's a Muslim or not, for me, is up for grabs. I tend to think more like um, D'Souza mentioned in his first movie that Obama is really nothing at all except uh, an agnostic, but he is using the Muslim jihadists to create uh, a climate in the world and in the United States of uh, fear and um, uh, just chaos so that he can um, basically gain power and, and money from it. Now, when you look at what happened in, this, in, the, um, in World War II, now you can make this argument for all the wars. I think that Kelly was the one that was talking about that war is just a huge um, moneymaker for the people at the top. And, you know, the West, uh, I'm thinking did for war, before World War, uh, before America and uh, England and France entered into World War II, did the West allow... A, a massive war to brew in order to rescue them out of the depression and and did the US officials know that the Japanese were about to, to attack Pearl Harbor because you know on the 70th anniversary back in uh, 2011 you know there was supposedly that um uh document from the from naval intelligence that said that um they were they were gathering up, the Japanese were gathering up intelligence on 
Pearl Harbor and that they, they uh, the intelligence, the United States intelligence knew that they were uh, about to um, attack somewhere over there. Uh, whether they knew exactly, I don't know, but, but because they were they were gathering up intel on the West Coast in general, all the way down to Panama and um, and Hawaii too. So <clears throat> apparently, this was several pages of um, of intelligence that the Navy had given to the president, and he just uh, basically ignored it. Now. Um, you know, is that what's going on today? Are they basically ignoring all these signs? Are they ignoring all the obvious um, declarations of war against the West, against Christianity, against against Israel? Are they ignoring all those declarations on purpose because they're getting um, they're they're suiting up and actually waiting for another massive war to brew? Um, so that they can have their massive money-making scheme going again. Um, I I don't necessarily agree that that's his purpose. Um, the the Sousa originally thought of Obama as an anti-imperialist, and that's how he he explains that viewpoint by by placing Obama as an Indonesian child, Indonesian child, and how he would have seen things as an Indonesian child. Um, it's a very interesting point. Um, you could almost make that argument from a, uh, the Kenyan perspective also. Um, is he anti-imperialist um, to, an, to a point? Uh, is this Muslim? Well, let's look at who he's appointed into office. Um, let's, we have the current chief of the CIA is under suspicion as, of being a Wahhabi Muslim. The current wow. chief of staff um, is an Iranian. The current uh, head of the Department of Homeland Security just took an award from the Muslim Public Affairs Council, which is part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, the FBI has redrawn its definition of what terror, uh, what can be said regarding Islam. I mean, so. He's put all these particular people in places who are Muslim to take control of our national security. I have serious issues when you have someone in charge of the Department of Homeland Security, and he's making statements about the good things of Islam and how how our when he he thinks about the Quran. I'm just going to read this quote. You can um, my article I posted in the chat site. Um, let's just read this quote from our wonderful. Department of Homeland Security, he said, um, it's right here, um, okay, I'm just going to read this part. So just two months ago, Jay Johnson accepted an award from the Muslim Public Affairs Council, an entity known to everyone who has studied terrorism as a front for the Muslim Brotherhood in North America. Taking an award from this group gives them legitimacy. Um, and he said, um, Reading the Quran reminds him of the quintessential American values. Uh, does he not know the Quran does not support the First Amendment? Does he know the Quran does not support the freedom of speech? Does not support? I mean, he he had this is a Muhammad personally had people killed who spoke against him. He had poets killed for for speaking.
working against him. So this is what he, he thinks about. And this stuff is in the Quran, it's in the Sunnah, and it's in the Hadith. Um, against the Second Amendment, you know, people who are non-Muslim are not allowed to carry weapons. Um, Fifth Amendment, you know, no Muslim should, should you know, again, the Fifth Amendment has to do with um, no no person should be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime without the due process of law. But under um, Sharia, um, Muslims are not to be killed for killing non-Muslims. So due process of law, uh, we would not have it if that's the case. Yeah, our DHA, can, I, can I comment about this? Or what? Yeah, go ahead, Kelly. This is Kelly here. Yeah, well, you're quoting the Fifth Amendment. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless under yeah. presentment or indictment by a grand jury. Yes. In the British system, which was handed down to us, this is a stark contrast to Sharia law and all that baloney. The British system required that you be tried by at least 24 of your peers, at least 12 in the grand jury, which would be um, an indictment or presentment, and then trial by jury, um, 12 again, concurring unanimously. And so you have the British system passed down to us from, gosh, that actually came from 1215 Magna Carta, and into the 1680s, a famous bushel case, and there's another recent case too. Not recent, recent to me. I was up till three in the morning reading it uh, Monday night. But our system allows you to be tried by your peers. The judge is acting as a referee, if you will, to keep order in the court and decide what evidence is and is not admissible. Um, but the Sharia folk, I mean, they explain more of their how do you arrest someone and then put them into jail. I mean, they're, they're explain some more of their due process because the, actually if you look at the Fifth Amendment, the whole process of, you know, you're first suspected of a crime, uh, grand jury indictment, and then you get uh, in our fifth. I mean, it, it just goes through the legal procedure, if you will, in a timeline where you have the right to counsel, the right to confront your accusers, the right to remain silent, blah, 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 then trial by jury. It's fascinating how the legal process when the, it goes into the Fifth and the Sixth Amendment. Um, but that's a British system. So can you go into a little bit more details? I mean, it fascinates me about law and how different countries, like the Hebrews, were a completely different system. Um, but they lasted six to 800 years. But can you explain kind of more about how Sharia law works? Once well, I'm going to recommend a book first. I'm going to recommend everybody buy a book called Reliance of the Traveler. Traveler with two L's. Um, I do not recommend buying it from um, the International Institute of Islamic Thought. Um, buy it on Amazon as a used book. Um, that way they don't get paid for it. <laughs> but this is what you're going to find out. Um, this organization, that particular book, the Travelers, that is Sharia in English. And you'll see the Quran being used uh, to defend it. Um, there's a page in my book, from that, um, from this particular book, because it reveals what they, the Muslims think of jihad, uh, and that yes, it is not a struggle. It is, it is a very violent action. Um, what is happening as far as uh, government and stuff? I, again, I recommend buying Tra- Reliance the Traveler. You'll see more accurate information as to what Islamic law is and, and the concept of 
of due process is a non-existent concept. I mean, and I say that by, um, I want you to understand that if you are speaking against a caliph, there is no process. You get heard, you're condemned. You may be beheaded at that moment. Um, there is no need for a trial by jury. There is no need for for you to have your rights respected. If it if it is believed that you, what you would claim against you, sorry, that's it. You're done with. Um, and that's just evidenced through the actions of Muhammad as well, and which is what the um, which is what the Sunnah is. Public trial by an impartial jury, that's the Sixth Amendment. Islamic law does not give non-Muslims equal legal standing with Muslims, even prohibiting a non-Muslim from testifying in court against a Muslim. And then think about this. If a woman is raped and the guy, if it's only her and, the, and her rapist, she can't even go in and claim against him. She has to have two other witnesses, just her and two others, to equal the testimony of one man. They have to be male, too, right? Yeah, there's, there's a man that says there was no rape. She has to have two witnesses plus herself, two females, to equal that one male testimony. She will not win otherwise. And that's not a win. That's an equal. And that's, that's so it's, this is why rape is an, like an unheard of reported crime. It's not, it's not considered a big crime because guess what? It's legal over there because no one's going to do anything about it. Because under Sharia, the woman has no rights. And this is what they want here in the United States. Hmm. This is what the Muslims well, want here. I, I don't see that happening, to be honest. I mean, just, <laughs> I mean the, the, so the people in the United States are not a hold for that. <laughs> well, the Jews probably didn't see it happening that they were going to get uh, exterminated either. But they were... We, if we well, keep standing around watching it happen and saying, oh, it's not going to happen, then, you know, eventually it will happen. I'm, so I'm one be, of those people who... Let me ask you this, who, Paul. What, yeah. could be the, what could be the reason why people like Pelosi and Reed and all the other liberal, you know, congre- congressional um, people that they, they don't, they don't seem to be at all frustrated with Obama the way he is letting Islam just run rampant everywhere and all over everybody. They don't they don't seem to be against him in any way. Um they're allowing him to get away with his very Muslim agenda. Why would that be so? The communists have always used the Muslims. As they have used them as a power, they have they have always tried to manipulate. Um, people who are dictators do a lot of manipulation. Nancy Pelosi ran that house as a as a master manipulator. Um, she would, and, and that's what's happening. Think about how dict. If you think about how, if I don't know if you've ever had an evil boss, think about Nancy Pelosi as the evil boss who will lie, cheat, steal to do get whatever she wants, and that's how that how things ran. Uh, why she still stands behind Obama is because she still has that belief in communism. Um, she is a registered, I believe, socialist. Um, she supports communism. And in that respect, she will support communism's past actions of using Muslims 
and they, the people who, but don't who have they, these, don't they have a fear that that eventually the Muslims will win and that they're going to be forced to kneel to uh, towards Mecca and wear veils and uh, not be able to drive and not be able to go to school? I mean, here's the women's movement. These are all liberation liberated women, right? Um, you're and, asking, and liberated men. You're asking the right questions, and this is this is really important. Um, the, the truth of the matter is, people who like Nancy Pelosi and are and others who who back them have somehow practice this concept of practice this concept of megalomania. They think they're above it all; that nothing will ever touch them. So, mm-hmm. no matter what, they're always right, and everybody else is always wrong. So they can manipulate somebody, and they don't have to worry about the consequences. So, yes, they can use the Muslim. They can support him. They can do this. They can do that. But it will never touch them. That's their belief structure. Um, and that's where Nancy Pelosi mm-hmm. exists as she does. So everybody else is useless. You are, she, you know, think of how royalty, you think of England and, and medieval ages and how royalty was, uh, was above things. And that's how the current people in Washington think. You are a nothing compared to them, and that's how they think. So you can't touch them, um, and that's that's the evil that we're fighting, um, the privileged class that believes they are above it all. And I say privileged in the fact that they believe power, this aphrodisiac of power, has entitled them. That's who we are fighting, the, quote, entitled uh, people who are were and are continuing to be voted into office. Um, I am mm-hmm. totally for uh, term limits for reasons like this. We might end the concept of an entitled class there if we institute term limits. Um, it's it's an essential element. No more career senator and senators and congressmen, right? No. Absolutely. Three terms for two, I would say three terms for Senate at the most. I mean that's that's pretty long to think about it. Yeah. Um, maybe 18, maybe 18 four years. terms for for House. Yes. I mean, there's that we need to have limits, and, and there's a reason for that. You have people well, how, that are about, currently about, operating in their 80s. How about how about two terms? One in the office, one in jail. Oh, by the way. Yeah. I got <laughs> oh, I got, I got one. Let's do it. I like this that is one. The one. This is the one I love. Um, some people don't like Sarah Palin, but I do love one of the things she did in Alaska. Um, and I still laugh about this one. You want to know when they talk about her cleaning up corruption in Alaska, they, she got them to pass a law that I have to go look this up again. But I, I believe this is, um, she got them to pass a law regarding corruption. You got caught in corruption and you are an Alaskan legislator and there is no retirement for you. There is yeah. no anything. It's gone. Yeah. So you get right. caught. Nothing there for you. It didn't matter how many years you invested in your retirement through the Alaskans, whatever, uh, government. It's gone. <laughs> you get yeah. zero. And we need to do you that. Want, uh, and I was going to make – go ahead. I think we just – I think we just well, – we need to make state legislation regarding – Corruption with that in politics. If we get re, make a legislation saying, if you're a politician, you get caught in ethical certain ethical dilemmas that can be considered legal, illegal. Guess what? You get nothing. We kick you out of office. 
you're you will have to go to jail. There, I mean, that's it. If if you're convicted, you go to jail. You lose your job. No retirement whatsoever. No monies whatsoever. Any investments you have will be uh, confiscated by the federal government as uh, stuff like that. We need to make make this very severe. Um, right now, there's no law telling the federal, uh, telling our congressional representatives that they they are allowed to do what's called insider trading. Yeah, they're allowed that. to do that. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I yeah. can't believe it, but you, yeah, you know, yeah, they're allowed to do insider trading. Yeah, Martha, and, Martha Stewart can't get away with that, but you know, Congressman Reed can. Nancy yeah. Pelosi can. <laughs> and Pelosi How do you think they? How do you think they come out rich? They're supposedly they don't have, you know, they don't have all. Well, they are still probably pretty wealthy going in, most of them, but they come out even more wealthy because they're able to do insider trading. Well, look yes, at Obama. Exactly. How his his uh, income has increased since he be, he's been in office. Unbelievable. Oh, I'm sure. I I think we need to to look at who. I think the only thing we can do today is start to, to make people know who's in charge and how they are related uh, is to, to Islam right now. How How is it possible that we have so many Iranians working in the White House today? In 1979, people would have started screaming treason, treason, mm-hmm. um, if, yeah. if they found all these Iranians in the White House. Well, yeah. sorry, um, I'm not saying all those people that are of Iranian descent that are working in the White House are treasonous. I am making a statement is that we have reasonable suspicion that some treason is being committed. <laughs> and we have good reason for that suspicion. Um, when the plans for, for the retaking of what was it, Fallujah um, were given to, somehow, to the Islamic State, what well, is going Benghazi. on up there? And Benghazi, that's treason. Well, Benghazi, there's no question whether that was treason. We have a Secretary of State who who was committing uh, uh, gun running, and she got caught with her hands in the cookie jar, so she wanted to get rid of the people who could witness to it. Uh, Chris Stevens, mm-hmm. that that would be him. Um, he actually came into Benghazi on a uh, tanker ship, I believe, which is unheard of for an ambassador to enter a country on a tanker ship. Uh, what what was he bringing with him? We have to ask, we have to ask those questions. I mean that's that's important stuff to be discussed, and yet no one is doing that. Yeah. They're afraid of besmirching well, his name. Well, it has to. Well, be I'm going to add what one was, more thing to the litany. There is uh, extortion seventeen with uh, the SEAL Team Six. Go ahead, Paul. Yes, you're you're exactly right. I mean, all these these there's too many things happening to be a coincidence. Treason is being committed. There's no question. Why has no one taken an action? It it blows my mind. Um, I I can't figure it out. And this is where I say I will keep speaking out until someone who has authority can do something. It's got to be done. We need somebody, well, and I'm going to say this thing: we need a man like Alan West in the White House to take action. We need somebody in, in there the to do Pentagon. what's right. We need him either in the Pentagon or the White House or even Congress, but we need a whole bunch of him. We need yes. we need a lot of men in there that will will take care of matters. But what we have 
is Crybaby Boehner and McConnell, <laughs> yeah. and, and McConnell, who, you know, I don't know what that man is. He's like a limp rag or something. I don't know. I think I can beat him up really easy. But anyway. I'm going to use the old word Tory. (laughs) Those men are Tories. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. But you know what? I think we run them all the way to Nova Scotia like we did back. You know, my family got split back in um, back in the early in the 1700s. Those people who decided to defend the crown got run to no run over to Canada to save their yep. lives. I, it, yep. You know, that's what we should do to those Tories that are in office. <laughs> how that's do you, the new how word do you for them. People, <laughs> how do you get the people to wake up, though, and want to engage in that kind of um, confrontation? Because most people these days have been raised on pablum and, they, and, and going to school and the teacher says, now, don't bite that. Don't you chew that sandwich up and make it look like a gun, you're going to get sent home. <laughs> and, and don't you bring a, a water gun in here. You're going to get sent home. And and don't mm-hmm. you be mean to that. Don't you be mean to that poor Muslim. He didn't do anything wrong. Um, you know, it, it, everything, it's, we're turning people in. I mean, boys, why don't boys play with dolls? There's nothing wrong with a boy playing with dolls. Um, why does he always yeah. have to play war games and stuff like that? And and I'm like, our men of our country have become such sissies that I don't know if we could ever fight a war like World War II ever again. I think we have to um, we have to find again the people we have currently in the military are volunteers. Um, we have great men and women in who have who are giving to their, their service to us. Why are they there? Chances are their mothers, brothers, sisters, cousins had influenced them to to understand what it means to give of themselves to their country. Yeah. Um, and you know, guess what? They are predominantly Republican. There's a vast there are a vast amount of Republicans. The reason for that is they're conservative, not these mamby pamby uh, Tories. He's <laughs> had for, for a while now <laughs> that are currently in that position. But, but look how Obama is Real quick, uh, let's go ahead and bring. Uh, hold on a second, Cindy. I just want to go ahead and um, and bring Joe back uh, a little bit to the conversation uh, uh, with us, and then we'll we'll bring it back to you. Okay. Joe, did you want to have comment? I want to go ahead and bring you back in. We've heard from you for a bit. Uh, yes. Um, thank you for having me back on. Um, I wanted to uh, uh, address Paul. Uh, I didn't get a chance to uh, do so earlier. Paul, I also live in New York, and uh, I can definitely relate to what is going on in uh, the educational system in the state. I can't... Uh, I can't speak about other states I don't reside in, especially in uh, colleges and universities. Uh, New York happens to be a very, very, very strong liberal state. Uh, It's been so for a very long time. And unfortunately, we have a corrupt bureaucratic uh, union system that uh, rewards the bad teachers and punishes the good teachers. Oh, I... uh, 
I don't know if I agree with that part. Of it, but yeah. well, I don't think people understand this. The reason why we have unions in education is because principals can get rid of a teacher for any reason whatsoever. And this is why, so you have, how would you like your boss being able to fire you, yet he's never held your job? He has no clue how to do your job, but he now comes in and reviews your job. And that's what's happening. So you have a person who is who taught Jim, who is now the principal of the school, who has no idea what it's like to teach biology to 32 kids. Yeah, he comes in and does your evaluation. He doesn't like you, so he's going to uh, fire you at the end of the year. You've got 28 years in. He just because he doesn't like you, he's going to say goodbye, and you have nothing. That's why unions exist in education, because of corrupt, because of megalomania administrators. It is the only reason we have unions in education. I I had a principal who was so evil <laughs> that. She would pick on certain individuals and, and treat them like dirt. She would lie on evaluation. And these are things that, these are the reasons why unions exist. Um, it is it is because administrators in schools believe they are gods, that they can do no wrong. And you will see, I don't know if, how many of you have had kids with uh, issues with principals Think about that. Well, if you think that the kids are having a hard time, think about how it's affecting the teacher because the teacher's having a hard time too because they're not allowed to do their jobs because we're not even allowed some school, like last year, we were forbidden by administrators to even talk against the Common Core. We were given an order that if we did, we could lose our job. We had to have our union fight and say, yes, they have a freedom of speech. You cannot do that. That's what unions exist for to defend the rights of the, and that's why they exist in education. And this is, and and they're behind us. In fact, all the unions in New York State and throughout, I I don't know about AFT, but NYSU is fighting Common Core. So don't, don't blame it on, don't blame it on NYSU at this point. um, NYSU is a uh, liberal organization, don't get me wrong there, but they are currently fighting Common Core. Right, but the United Federation of Teachers, which is the biggest union for teachers, and there that is have the, been cases. That's a national entity, yeah. There have been there have been cases in New York. Most recent case was uh, a, a teacher who was arrested for drug possession in his uh, home in his residence. Uh, was a teacher for over eight years. Yet the unions, uh, United Federation of Teachers, hired a lawyer to defend him. And ultimately, the judge ruled in the lower circuit that because the teacher did not commit the felonious act while he was in school or while he was teaching, therefore he was allowed to keep his job and he was allowed to keep uh, his tenure. Okay. So See, there's been a goes, lot of other okay. cases similar yeah. to that with the United Federation. That actually teachers. violates the ethics clause. So I don't know how he could be defended. There is an ethics clause that teachers. When you when you get your when you become a mm-hmm. teacher, you have to abide by. Um, there is no reason to for him to have been allowed. Teachers can be removed for a drunk driving. Uh, you can mm-hmm. get a drunk driving, and you can be removed from that. Uh, you have it. There is an ethics clause that you that you have to agree to. All right. I don't know what I have to agree to. I should say you, when you right. become an, 
when you get certified, you understand there are ethics you have to abide by. Violating those don't. ethics is a cause for dismissal. There is right, no excuse don't. for that. Yeah, exactly. And, and the union who would problem. defend him, I, I'm, I'm against, I do not agree with union defense. I, I yeah. was part of Kappa Delta Pi. Kappa Delta Pi is the International Honor Society for Educators, part of an organization, uh, a local chapter, where we'd heard of a particular person who had done something that was dishonorable to the name of education. We removed that person from our role. Uh, my father taught for 35 years, and one of the things he will say, and you'll agree with me with this, is that teachers sometimes are their worst enemies. When they, when you talk about a union doing something like this, defending a person who we all know has done something illegal, mm-hmm. um, is is creates again their being their worst enemy. And this is, I, I have, I have no excuses for that. That union, uh, whoever right. they were, should be, should have funds taken from them. Um, for defending a, an illegal action. Again, the persons sure. who are employed defending them, I mean, giving them money, again, under the standards, under the under the ethics clauses for mm-hmm. defending that could have been removed from education, from right. being an educator. For Again, because you're defending someone who has committed and, I mean, mm-hmm. has already been convicted of a crime. And and there's even a worser case, but it didn't happen in New York. It happened about uh, eight months ago. I can't remember the state, but it made nationwide news. There was a teacher who was convicted um, for uh, molesting one of his students, and he was sentenced uh, to jail. And the teacher's union in that state actually wanted to defend him to fight so that he would keep his pension. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You are fighting for someone who was convicted of molesting a student, and you are defending him as a union lawyer uh, for him to keep his pension? I mean, that is that baffled me. I mean, I don't even remember what state it is. I wish I did. But that really, really, really um, hit hit the news nationwide. Is that a grade school thing so or a public. high school thing or what was that? Uh, uh, no, it was it was yeah. a it was a junior high, a uh, middle middle school. It's probably uh, there's been cases oh, wow. where women yeah, have been, not even close it, to it probably goes to the cases with all those women that were doing all the molesting. Oh um, yeah, oh yeah, there's been plenty of those cases too. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's probably with one of those because there's the no, women have predominantly been out there lately in the in the news on that one. This was the case where it was a male. Teacher. Well, and, and that's what I don't understand. I'm gonna I'm gonna interject, which I, as you folks know, uh, I rarely do on the show, um, and especially since it's Bard's Logic After Dark, I can go ahead and and feel more free to do this. But one thing I never understand, especially of course, this is at the the high school level, senior year high school level, where the the right. boys 17, maybe even 18 years old, where you know him and the teacher they do their thing. And then when they come back, and the parents come back and say, oh, my gosh, he was just – he's been mentally uh, disturbed or, or whatever, or, oh, my gosh, he's been so corrupted. And this, I'm like, really? I mean, he's the, he's the – let's be honest, he's the stud of the school. He's a 17, 18-year-old, right. you know, high school senior and, you know, you know, is with a with a teacher, especially. Let's be honest, folks. If he's an attractive teacher, and then the parents try to say, "Oh my gosh, he's just mentally scarred for life." It's like, are you kidding me? I, oh, I no, can never I understand that. Maybe it's a 
an educator, no, no, no. you can educate me on that. But. <laughs> no, no, I agree uh, with you, Robert. I, At 18-year consenting adult, with that I will agree with you totally. At 18-year consenting adult, so uh, in the eyes of, of, of society, you're, you're an adult, whether you're in high school or a senior or whatever. At 18, yeah, I could see that from a different perspective. And it's very convenient for the family of an 18-year-old to say, as Robert was pointing out, that our son is emotionally scarred due to this strategy. So therefore, let's sue the city, the state, the county, the, the board of education, and, you know, follow more. I, I agree and disagree. With, here's what I'll say about that. Um, uh, people who are in a classroom under an authority figure um, can be heavily influenced. And this is where I have arguments against yeah, our argument. Go ahead. past President Clinton. If you are an authority figure over um, someone, you should not be engaging in sexual relations. Um, there's a point where we're talking about uh, past your young 20-somethings, and I'm saying past those impressionable, stupid years when you think you're 20 and, you're un- and nothing can ever harm you. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you think anybody you know, think about what you were like when you were 20. Nothing could ever touch you. Nothing could harm you. You could never do anything. Nothing could ever hurt you. That's how twenty-somethings think. Um, so we have to. Yeah, that lasted about, almost until my thirties. What are you talking about? Go ahead. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm willing to to say. Forty Let me tell you. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Dave. Oh, I'm it just touched my fifty. So <laughs> I, I look at the twenties and I'm saying, I, I just you feel indestructible when you hit twenty, and. Mm-hmm. That woman Monica, if you even looked at the photos of her, she thought Bill Clinton was God. <laughs> she thought he was yeah, he was the like, best oh. thing in the world. You could see it in her eyes uh, that that he held so much power that he held. I mean, that woman, that man should have been arrested for even touching her. <laughs> That's how I look at it, or even letting her touch him. For that simple, it's that simple. Um, we we have had CEOs fired for those those reasons for the exact same reason, interns and mm-hmm. people bad bad combination. Yeah, yeah, she was over eighteen, but you know what? The word was intern, unpaid person. Okay, we're talking about uh, two employees. That's something different. Intern is someone who is working for free. And they are there to learn. Guess what? That makes them a student. It's so it's just as bad as. Uh, <laughs> it's, I just. It's the same thing. Students should. An intern is basically a student who is learning. Yes, in, any, but, in any case like that, it's wrong. Well, yeah, they definitely but need to be I, taking you know on an individual, you know, everything on an individual basis. That's what I think. I think there's some carte blanche, you know, decision. I think it should everything should be based on you know. You know, all the decisions it takes to be on a case-by-case individual situation, in my opinion. But but in the eyes of the law, once you're 18, you're considered a, a consenting adult. Right. Um, subject to interpretation, you know, whether the debate of whether, you know, um, about the argument of, uh, you know, when you're 20, you, you think differently or whatever. Um, you know, you may not be mature for your age. Nonetheless, in the eyes of the law, once you're 18, you are you are considered an adult. And uh, you know, 
unfortunately, the law of the land is not going to prosecute you if you commit a crime based on, uh, you know, you were 18, but you thought you were invincible. They're going to prosecute you based on uh, were you uh, below the age of 18 or were you 18 and uh, uh, are you an adult? And that's how they will, you know, uh, go after you uh, accordingly. You know, another thing I wanted to bring up, Paul, is um, you brought up an interesting point about um, the colleges and universities in New York. Um, And I do see this happening because uh, back in 2013 is when I uh, began shopping around for, uh, you know, colleges uh, in the New York area. I did get accepted into NYU in 2013. Only in 2014, um, unfortunately, my political views were an issue even before I got to register for classes. Long story short, um, I already got to see what was going to be in store for me if I stayed. So basically I left with my head up high and uh, with my dignity intact and I left with my own terms. Nonetheless, I'll never be able to why you, but um, the, the, the leftist bias and ideology that is being taught on these campuses, I mean, it is just an epidemic, Paul. I, 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 yes. I agree with you. This is like almost in every college and, and major institution in New York. And the so-called reputable elite colleges, such as NYU and Columbia University, are probably the worst offenders. And especially NYU uh, has a NYU has an imam who makes uh, who curses out. I mean, on his website, conservatives. I mean, cussing them out. Well, and I didn't. And you know, all until you were uh, about that uh, Muslim speaker who was part of the terrorist plot in 1993, I believe, who was speaking at uh, at NYU. I didn't even know that. Sure, I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had no clue. I I was, like, totally uh, baffled. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. That was the university I applied to and got accepted. And, wow, I mean, their ideology there is is, is, is very sickening. And... Um, you know, New York has a really, really large Muslim population. Uh, and it seems that now these days, it seems that the Muslims are the ones that are calling the shots. And that's pretty sad because what academia is doing is they're giving the power to the leftist ideology and they're giving the power to the Muslims. The Muslims come to our country and tell us how to live, tell us how we should live accordingly. With all due respect, this is our country. They are coming to our country as guests. And the way I see Um, it is, I'll be darned if I let any foreigners come into our country and tell us as Americans of how we should live or how we should follow our Constitution. Because let me tell you something. If an American were ever to go to the Middle East and dare say anything, anything uh, uh, against Islam, they would be beheaded in two seconds. And yet the Muslims come over here, and they can say anything they want, and it seems they can do anything they want on the on the college's campuses, and no one is held accountable. And if you try to speak out against it, well, let's just say you don't make it even past registration, even at a so-called reputable institution, and I say so-called, such as NYU. 
Yeah, NYU is is a bastion for the Muslim Brotherhood. It's well known. And it's a in the sad, sorry state. Um, that particular college is well known for that. Um, John Jay College is something I'm actually looking at currently out there. Um, they have a a good counterterrorism type program that I'm actually interested in for, for a graduate certificate. Um, I recommend the one college I recommend in New York State is Robert Wesleyan College. I went there for my undergraduate years, and I can't say anything bad about the place. I learned and I grew, came. I say I became a man there because of the, the lifestyle of of living. It was a Christian. It's a Christian college. And there uh, what part of New York is that located in, Paul? Is that it, right upstate? Here in Rochester, or? Right in Rochester, New York. Rochester, upstate. Yeah, okay, out, actually, out in yeah. Um, well, if you're willing to come all the way out here, give it a shot. It's it's an outstanding school. Um, I recommend Christian colleges. If you really want to, it's an expense. I will admit it's an awful expense. But um, I do recommend the Christian college experience. Um, yeah, I, I'm just. I can't just recommend trying, it any higher. Right, I'm just trying to get into a college where my 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 personal or political views or my ethnicity or my background that where that's not going to be an issue. It's not supposed to, you know. The civil, the civil, uh, the you know, we, we're supposed to be protected, uh, you know, with uh, you know by by our constitution. And we're supposed to be protected by civil rights acts that actually prohibit any institution or workplace or any college to discriminate you based on your political views, your ethnicity, your your religious views. And I just see it becoming an epidemic in New York, and I see it worsening. And take it from someone who's been shopping around for, you know, over a year, and the only places that don't seem to discriminate against or, or care for uh, what your political views are or your background are the diploma mills, are the ones that are not, you know, ranked as the top tier universities. So it, it really doesn't leave me with a lot of options because then if I kind of go to the universities that are not ranked as high, I don't have as many chances when I graduate, but then if I try to get into the so-called reputable universities, well, I'm not even going to see the day of light. You know, well, the truth of the matter, nobody, nobody cares. The truth of the matter is, nobody cares where you graduated from. They care that you graduated. So you can go to any college. Um, and yeah, the concept of paper mill will be may it may only be discussed if you're a total jerk <laughs> and you don't right. do your job when you get your when you when you're when you're hired. Um, nobody cares where you went to college. They don't care if you went to Yale. They don't care if you went to Columbia unless maybe you're going to become a lawyer. And there's enough lawyers out there. <laughs> Sorry. But Try and start, I, if, if that's mills. what you're thinking about, find another profession. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm talking about the diploma mills. Uh, the, a lot of for-profit universities that are, are, are considered diploma mills that are not even giving a quality education, for example, Corinthians, Everest, and, and Hill College. Yeah, Everest, Everest is a scam that's perpetrated exactly. on the poor. Yeah, um, in fact, we talk about it here in, in, in Rochester about how the I – mean, I don't I don't know if anybody recommends them anymore because you can no. go there, but you can never, ever pay off the bill throughout your entire life. So it, right. it's a scam, um, and that's what we teach. I teach kids not to go there. 
Um, right. And yeah, I'm a high school teacher, and I'll say that because there's there's no way if you look at the if you graduate from there, you get a job like you're supposed to. The, the right. bill that comes at the end, there's no way you can pay it off. And that's why I don't recommend it. And the problem is there's quite a few diploma mills in New York that are similar to that structure, um, that basically when you graduate, that diploma will mean nothing. And and that's the, that's the fear, you know, um, in shopping around for college. Well, I'm not going to say it means nothing. What, what, I, what I will say is you can never pay it off. Um, you, you need to go to a, a school that is uh, approved by the state for as, as a four-year or two-year right. college. Um, um, my local... The local school um, for community college here is Monroe Community College. Um, they're well known for putting out quality education. Um, I can't think of, I, I think the only place I've ever had problems uh, was when I did my master's at Nazareth. Um, I was there in my first class, and I discovered they were using a book that promoted witchcraft to, to teach <laughs> to teach in the, educa- the foundations of education. Um, Catholic school, uh, it, was, it was just ending being a Catholic school. They didn't right. know that it was teaching those things. I knew because in my undergraduate years, I studied to be a pastor, and I learned, I knew the names of the people they were citing because my research um, for for my work as a as my undergraduate told me those things. But unfortunately, they don't know. Right. I am out of time because I actually have to get up in the morning. <laughs> I have to no, say goodbye. No, I understand. We appreciate you staying as long as uh, as long as you didn't. Actually, yeah, there's only 15 minutes left uh, of the show, so I have to start closing things down in about five minutes or so. Uh, but yeah, definitely, Paul. We appreciate you spending the extra time here uh, on the show, uh, you know, with us. We definitely would like to, you know, keep in touch and hopefully have you back on again. Thank you. I'd like that. Everybody have a good night. <laughs> have a good Thank night, you. Paul. You too. But thank you very much, Paul. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, take care. Oh, no, he, he he left. He probably realized how late it really was and had to go. Uh, so, and, you know, I appreciate him staying on. He, as I said earlier, is only going to be able to give us a couple hours. And, you know, as things kind of go here uh, on Bard's Logic, is a lot of times we do lose track of time, especially when we have uh, such good conversations with everybody. One thing I do want to say about uh, the – audience and of course uh you folks here the panelists is definitely uh do very well in keeping the conversation going with our guests so uh, we do have that happen many times here on the show where our guests will you know give us an amount of time that they'll be able to stay or you know off air tell me how much time they're going to stay but uh because of you folks there and your conversation ability uh with them uh they just get drawn in and, and stay longer in the show which is great i uh, appreciate it from uh you folks there and uh, of course from our guests uh, but it does, yeah. Unfortunately, we'll have to start getting ready to close things out. But uh, definitely look forward to uh, next week having Matt Bevan back on the show. Uh, we'll hear more about uh, his campaign, uh, both past, uh, with running for the primary for governor, and uh, get some updates on that, as well as uh, the governorship uh, running for the gubernatorial campaign uh, and the general election, as uh, things stand right now. Uh, he was up by 83. So this tells you how your vote can be important, folks, that uh, he beat uh, his nearest opponent by 83, 84 votes. Um, wow. They're looking to do a recanvassing on that. Um, perhaps we'll have some more information uh, by the time he comes on the show. Uh, we'll see. 
but then uh, we'll be talking about that uh, if he's able. Uh, so looking forward to that. But let's go ahead and uh, just get some closing comments about uh, either that or tonight's discussion uh, from you guys. So we'll first we'll go with uh, you, Kelly, and then we'll uh, go with over to you, Cindy. And uh, Joe, just please, folks, just, uh, you know, maybe a minute uh, maybe or, or two tops, sure. and then I'll oh, have to Robert, close things out. So go ahead, Kelly. About a cartoon and, and the after hours. I, I I don't know if you had time, but you mentioned something in the beginning of the show about a cartoon. You oh yeah, about a cartoon. Yeah. yeah well, they were talking yeah. about you know the seventy virgins. I can't remember who brought it up, but somebody was talking about the seventy virgins if they were to you know die a martyr or something for you know in the cause of their you know fundamentalism, and you know there was. Uh, you know, a new guy just, uh, you know, bombed himself and killed a bunch of people and himself as well. And he goes up uh, to heaven and, he, you know, you see these 70 versions, but they're all just incredibly ugly, just all of them incredibly ugly. <laughs> and he looks over at the guy next to him with a, you know, scared uh, look on his face like, oh, my gosh, what, are they, what is this? The guy next to him goes, hello, there were virgins, right? <laughs> You know, there's a reason why, you know, the ver- well, I know that's a terrible joke, but uh, I've seen it in the yeah, comic strip. Well, it's not one that I made yeah. myself. It's like, right. hello, there's a reason why like- they're still virgin, yeah. I don't, I don't like nasty jokes too much, but that one was pretty funny. <laughs> that, was, that was hilarious, Robert. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was pretty good. So, but go ahead, uh, Go ahead, and thank you, Joe, for giving me the opportunity to, to, to bring that out. Um, so, but Kelly, uh, let's go ahead and uh, bring it to you for a couple minutes, and then we'll uh, do it to you, Cindy, and then Joe, and then I'll have the closing bell. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, actually, uh, what really happened is Giannis went to heaven, and he was met by George Washington, who hit him, whacked him, got him on the ground, started kicking him. And then Thomas Harrison came along, whacked him, you know, you jihadist. And then came George Mason, then Robert E. Lee, and they're all just pounding him. And he, Wait a minute, where are my 72 virgins? That's Virginians to you. All right, anyway. <laughs> That's Virginians. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember I, uh, those two. The one that Robert said he knew after a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so is that your final Thank you. word? Let's go ahead and uh, I guess that's just close the comments. Go ahead, Cindy. Do you have one for us? <laughs> I'm so sorry that I got me all choked up now. I'm so sorry that my parting words are so serious. But <laughs> I don't have a good joke for you guys. I'm sorry. Um, um, Well, you know, I was reading on his site here where he's talking about um, on civilization jihad. And um, the scariest thing about this is we are infiltrated all through through our government. And um, people don't care they they're sleeping and they, and they think you know nothing's gonna harm them or you know and then there's the christians who are saying well you know we're, we're gonna get raptured out of here before all this trouble and everything and well it it's not going to get any better unless people wake up and decide 
that it's going to affect them. And unfortunately, people always wait <clears throat> till it's gone too far. And then they try to do something, and it's a horrible mess like World War II. <clears throat> this Jay Johnson, the current Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, appointed by President Obama, um, if when um, Paul Paul writes it like this, he said he's appointed to a post that has no he has no qualifications for. He has not served in the military, protecting America. He hasn't spent one day in the as a police officer where he would have learned to protect and serve. What pushed Jen, Jay Johnson into the limelight as a potential DHS leader? Then, well, he's a lawyer who worked for the terrorists detained at Gitmo. He was President Obama's inside man working with the terrorists <clears throat> who are not American citizens and they're given the rights of American Americans under the Constitution. <clears throat> anyway, and this is all over through our government, you know, from Valerie Jarrett and all, all the rest on down. And um, yeah. <clears throat> I, I'm at my wit's end about trying to get people Woken up. We even have people who listen to this show who refuse to see this truth about Islam. <clears throat> we have. I have people on my conservative Facebook page uh, and conservative Facebook groups who refuse to to wake up and notice this. Um, if we, who are the most informed of the people, um, can't get together on this and decide what to do about it and agree what to do about it, what hope do we have uh, of stopping it? And uh, that's that's my final word. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, Sonia. Thank you very much uh, uh, for coming in tonight. It's good to see uh, you back on as well. So, uh, Joe, you got the uh, final word before I close things out? Go ahead. Sure. I just want to say as a loyal listener to this show, another amazing show. Paul was a, a great guest. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, humorous way to end it at the end. Classic one, Robert. Classic one, Kelly. Thank you. And uh, I'm just excited about next week. I'm really excited about uh, Matt Bevin coming on. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. I had the honor of speaking with him when he was, uh, you know, in the uh, Senate uh, primaries in 2014. And I think next week is just going to be another great, epic show. And I just can't wait. I'm psyched up. Yep, awesome. me too. Yeah, me too. We'll uh, work on that. I've uh, got a couple other folks. I've got pretty much uh, booked for the rest of the month and moving into June. Uh, so uh, we'll be coming up uh, with those uh, folks as well. Uh, just got to wait. I've pretty much confirmed it in the book, so just got to get their, their bios and their photos to get the uh, the links together for them. Uh, so we're waiting for those. So that we've got the next uh after next week, uh, two, three weeks booked after that as well. So uh, excited about that. And so, of course, folks, uh, check out uh, the Patriot Journalist Network at www.patriotjournalist.com, as well as the Bards Logic Political website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. And uh, listen to the show. Thank you. And, of course, share the link uh, to the podcast so that other folks can hear our guest tonight, and, of course, our panelists as well. And so I will end tonight, as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubrey.com.
ashburn.com. So take care, everyone. Good night, and we will see you next time. Take care. Good night. Good night. Bye, guys. Thank you.